to another episode of Spoilers Together. I'm Michelle. I hate the Supreme Court! And I'm Harper. That's impossible. And this is our monthly roundup. <laughs> where we talk about all the movies we watched in June. Duh! <laughs> um... And we talk about the good, the bad, the stuff we'll never watch again, the stuff we won't even talk about again, because we don't even have them on the list. <laughs> and I just drank a bunch of soda, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> I can tell. I'm going to be like clipping the whole time. <laughs> um, and then we will do our mini segment at some point. I guess we'll do it at the end of the episode. It's going to be a surprise because we don't even know what it is yet. Correct. <laughs> All right. So let's dive in to the monthly roundup. So, first movie on our list is Housebound, which came out in 2014 and is directed by Jared Johnstone. Sounds like a fake name. Yeah. Gerard. Oh, not Jared. (laughs) Gerard. Gerard's Gerard's game. Um, so when Kylie Bucknell is sentenced to home detention, she's forced to come to terms with her unsociable behavior, her blabbering mother, and a hostile spirit who seems less than happy about the new living arrangement. Starring a bunch of New Zealand people. Yeah, it's a Kiwi movie. (laughs) Kiwi horror. Um, basically, because that that doesn't seem to really capture the description of the movie. Um, yeah, a troubled girl moves back in with her mom. Her mom is convinced the house is haunted and then things spiral out of control with like 500 twists that we don't need. (laughs) Yeah. It gets really complicated in the second half about like, okay, is it a ghost? Who's the ghost? Who's a serial killer? Who's not a serial killer? And it sucks because the premise is kind of cool because it's like she's on house arrest but there's stuff happening in the house and she can't leave. Yeah. No, like that would idea. be cool. But they just take it in this crazy way. Cause like, also is it a comedy or not? Cause there's like one or two scenes that seems like it's a comedy. Yeah. And then the rest is serious. That was my biggest problem. Like the twists were, it was like maybe a little too much for me, but it was still kind of interesting. Yeah. But yeah, to me it was like, if it's going to be a comedy, it wasn't funny enough. Mm-hmm. And if it was going to be a horror movie with just some comedic elements, it wasn't really creepy enough. Exactly. Like, it didn't really wholly succeed at either one. So the combination didn't really work entirely for me. Um, I think horror comedy is a lot harder to pull off than it's really easy to make a horror comedy. It's really hard to make a good horror comedy. I yeah. think that's actually exceptionally rare. Because you're either just making fun of the tropes or you have to actually be funny. Yeah. 
So this does not really do either. It has a couple of really good moments, although I'm having a hard time remembering exactly what they were now, but I remember yeah. liking a few bits that were, I think the scarier bits worked better than the funny bits to me. Yeah. Um, and so there's a couple of standout moments, but for the most part, it was just, eh, it was okay. Yeah. And we watched this on Joe Bob Briggs last drive-in show and, he explained that it took years to make this movie too, so maybe that's why there's so much going on. Maybe so, yeah. It sounds a little bit like uh, like following like Christopher Nolan's movie, where like they filmed it on weekends over like a yeah. long period of time while they Until slowly raise money. money for it yeah. and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, so, it was fine. I gave it three stars. I did too. And it's on Shutter and Tubi. <gasps> and our co-host Meow Meow just. Popped up. Maybe she'll say something later. <laughs> I give it three meows. <laughs> uh, so next up, we... Oh, she's going to hit the soundboard. Uh, 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 she, she always hit Howard Dean. She did. She walked right across it. <laughs> Where are you going? Anyway, she wanted to get her word in on our next movie, which is Top Gun Maverick, which came out in 2022. Directed by Joseph Kaczynski. We need a new new movie button. Yeah. I want I don't know what we could do, but there has to be something about being like new, exciting, and fresh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um anyway, feel the need. The need for speed. <laughs> that's really the tagline? Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> and also like I feel like that's been used. Well, it's not that. in a question though. <laughs> that is, that's just a terrible tagline. You think it'd be like sometimes older is faster <laughs> or better. <laughs> yeah. Like um, I'm not going to read this description because it's like three paragraphs long for no reason. It's the sequel to Top Gun. That's all you need to know. It's yeah. the exact same movie. Never comes but back. Older. Teaches a new class <laughs> so that they can run a mission towards a uh, a mission against a vague vaguely russian slash chinese <laughs> uh nuclear secret communist nuclear threat yeah. <laughs> um and it stars tom cruise miles teller jennifer connelly john ham he gets a my man <laughs> yeah. glenn powell ed harris val kilmer lewis pullman charles barnell a bunch of other people <laughs> there's a lot of top guns in this movie and I don't feel like saying them all. That's fine. <laughs> um, so we were bombarded over and over and over and over again about how amazing this movie is and how great it is. And, oh, the action is like Mad Max Fury Road. And it was not. I mean, the action's good. Yeah. But the story is not there at all. No. Yeah. The action. I mean, here's the thing. If I went into this not knowing that they really filmed in these F-18s and stuff... I would have nothing good to say about this movie at all, probably. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> like, the stunts and action sequences are amazing, but largely because I know in the back of my head, oh, this is real stuff. It's yeah. not CGI. Which partly, I mean, that's not their fault. That's really the fault of, like, this is the other, this is the other bad thing about CGI in general is not that, like, CGI is bad, but because it makes everything possible, it makes nothing impressive or surprising anymore. Yeah. And then while the action is good, like you said, a lot of it is just because we know it's real. But also, there's only so much action you can show with a plane. It's either from the cockpit or 
it's from really far away. <laughs> well, they do. I mean, they do a lot of really cool flying stunts in the movie. And like that's, I don't want to take away from that because that stuff is really great. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible that they were able to pull it off, especially with the real actors in the planes and stuff like that's, it's a big deal and it's very cool. But the re- anytime the movie is not in the planes, it's like the most corny, cliche, 90s corny script ever. <laughs> like it almost feels like amateur. It, it's so like it really it's does. so bland and like predictable. It's from like another time. I mean, yeah, I guess they're trying to capture like the same like eightiesness of the original, which I've never seen the original. To be honest, I've seen it and I didn't like it. And then when they were came out with this, I'm like, why would they make that? But some people love it, and I. It's just not my thing. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, but I'm never going to see it again for sure. Um, And I just don't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I really enjoyed the stunts and it was that part was really fun to watch for sure. Like no question. But it's just like there's not anything else there to really grab me. Although I did like the scene with uh, Val Kilmer. Yeah. I was was going to say that was interesting because they gave him his voice back Mm -hmm. to do his scene. We need more Val in our life. Yeah. I need more Val in this. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I thought Glenn Powell stood out as like hangman. He was good. But Miles Teller is kind of the focus and he's kind of blonde this whole yeah, movie. He's kind of, it's funny. I really thought after Whiplash, he was going to be like the next big star. Yeah. And he's kind of fizzled out a little bit. Like he's just kind it's of been odd. kind of boring. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Um, is this the movie where you read about people doing the, like the 4D experience and having like oh, yeah. panic attacks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I really wish we had a 4D theater in it because I always hear about how insane it is. It, those yeah. are the theaters where like the seats move and they blow like air and water in your face and stuff, <laughs> which I bet in this movie is like insane. And this, they probably hired Tom Cruise to come and like yell at you. That's the 4D experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, Tom Cruise is problematic and we just keep giving him so much money. I will say, though, I do think like Oscars need to have a best stunt category and that would solve a lot of issues because you could bring in blockbusters without like... Yeah, this is how you give Questioning the craft of cinema. (laughs) Yeah, this is how you do a blockbuster category. They make a stunt category. I totally agree. Because then we would have a lot of cool things to look at. And it's a huge part of filmmaking. It stunts. is. I mean, every movie has stunts, you know, it's, and yeah, they're not really recognized in they're any not. mainstream way. Um, and probably Tom Cruise would, we'd just keep pushing him to the limit to see what yeah, he Yeah, until do. he, maybe he'll jump into the sun or something <laughs> <Yeah>. eventually. <laughs> He's just going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> it might work out for the best. <laughs> Um, so I gave it three and a half, but I might go down to three. I, did, I felt pressured to give it three and a half. I gave it three and a half because I really enjoyed it while we were watching it, but it's like, yeah, yeah there's just like nothing there, like yeah. deeper than like cool planes. So we might be the outliers for this movie. Yeah, I think like, so. Everybody else gave it like four stars and I'm like, eh. Yeah, the reason I was definitely not going to see it until all our friends kept talking about it and like every review on Letterboxd yeah. the week <laughs> after it came out was like four and a half or five stars. I'm like, geez, all right. Guess yeah. we're see it guess we gotta do this but, yeah and it's only in theaters i don't know if it'll be streaming anytime soon yeah and you pro- you don't have to see the first one to see it so obviously not harper made it through <laughs> there's uh, not enough plot they give enough flashbacks you don't have to see the first one yeah <laughs> all right so next movie i watched by myself but harper has seen it before and loves it so that mm-hmm. is Knife Plus Heart, 
which came out in 2018, directed by Jan Gonzalez. Who is Jan? Jan. In the summer of 1979, gay porn producer Anne sets out to film her most ambitious film yet, but her actors are picked off one by one by a mysterious killer starring a bunch of French people, right? Yeah. French or Italian? It's French. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really recognize anybody in it. Um, so I thought I have a bubble in my mouth. I can hear it. <laughs> Throat, not my mouth. <laughs> I thought visually the film was great. Uh, it has a really great score and soundtrack to back it up. And the style. Yeah, I really want the soundtrack. I yeah, it was really good. It. It's very good. Um, and the style reminded me a lot of The Love Witch. Hmm. Like that kind of trying to recreate that 70s vibe, I guess. Yeah, um, I can see that. Uh, yeah, it feels pretty authentically older than it is. And then I thought the there's the killer is super creepy, but I thought it's kind of complicated backstory and mystery. Yeah, I mean, there's it's a been, lot going on. It's been like three years since I've seen it, so I but yeah, so it's like I'm always like telling people, yeah, if you like Giallo movies or whatever, you should definitely watch this. But I also am uh, like I don't think I could explain the plot. Like here's here's my remembrance of the plot. The the lady who's the porn producer is in love with this woman who broke up with her and she's trying to win her back. Yeah. Maybe by making like the best, uh, the best French gay porn movie she can make. <laughs> <laughs> and in the, and while that's happening, Oh, I'm, okay. Never mind. While that's happening, people are getting killed by this really creepy looking S and M killer who wears this weird, uh, leather mask that is super creepy. Uh, and they, do they incorporate those, killings like into their movies as a way to like yeah she's kind of writing the movie as it goes along and yeah so pulling you, it in the real stuff that's happening yeah so from what i remember you kind of like is she the killer because she's like do, killing <laughs> well, people yeah to, and like, everyone on her sets are being killed yeah so um but yeah i remember really liking it but i mean it's like most jello movies in that like the story is not super like thought through and stuff but it's so visually and orally like interesting that it's uh it makes up for it but there's a lot of graphic nudity (laughs) throughout the film (laughs) i mean it's pretty it's pretty gay there's a lot of gay dudes doing gay stuff yeah that's fine no just was like oh this is just like a porno (laughs) um but yeah overall i liked it uh i don't know what else to say other than i don't want to give away too much yeah so i gave it three and a half stars Cool. And it's streaming on Shutter, and that's it. There's also a lot of weird, random extra characters that pop up, and I'm like, that's odd. Huh. Like the there's like a guy who pops up, and he has like a weird hand and disease. I don't remember that. He like has a bird hand. It's weird. <laughs> don't recall that part. <laughs> He's living in the woods with his mom. <laughs> there's stuff going on. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. What's next? <laughs> so we go back to Joe Bob night and we watch Slaughterhouse, which I need to pull up. I'm not prepared. Okay. So Slaughterhouse came out in 1987, directed by Rick Rossler. You'll never get out in one piece because uh, it's a, a slaughterhouse. Good actually. Yeah. That's way better than the need for speed or whatever. <laughs> The owner of a slaughterhouse facing foreclosure instructs his obese and mentally disabled son to go on a killing spree against the people who want to buy his property. 
and his son thinks he's a pig. He talks like a pig, but it's not like convincing. No, it's just, it's just weird. like recordings of pigs every time he opens yeah. his mouth. Yeah, so it's like, oh, like he could have made that it's noise. Ba- it's at kind least. of like the opposite of babe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. Um, uh, it's it's okay. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> I don't have that much to say about it. I honestly, don't either. <laughs> it's a pr- like it's fine. It's just a very very generic slasher. I think. Mm-hmm. Like like. I couldn't tell you anything about any of the main characters and uh, they're trying to put on like their big barbecue prom or whatever. <laughs> pig theme prom. <laughs> the, the annual pig out or whatever. I think I that's know. what they call it. I thought they were trying to make a movie. They are, but it's all, they're also <laughs> like doing it in the middle of like the pig out or whatever, like I some big annual really barbecue don't remember. festival. <laughs> yeah, they're making, I mean, yeah, that's the only part that was kind of interesting is they're making a horror movie and they're like, oh, let's go film it at the old abandoned slaughterhouse. And yeah. Like, yeah. That's a cool idea. Um, but yeah, it's just not very memorable. There's not a lot really to, uh, to say about it besides like, yep, there's a guy who <laughs> oinks and kills people. <laughs> the opposite of babe. <laughs> yeah. I did say for the small budget, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was no, going to be. It was higher quality than I expected too. There's just not a lot there. Yeah. The killer is just so annoying and talks like a pig. So it's like, is this funny? Is this supposed to be funny or scary or it's just awkward? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just not super great. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. I gave it two and a half stars. I did too. It's on Shutter and Tubi. You can probably skip it. There's a lot of other good things out there you can go watch. <laughs> I was going to say that's probably our lowest score of the month, but I've got another one coming up that is the same. So we'll yeah. hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I watched a movie without you called, well, it has two names. Evil Angels. Mm-hmm. Which title do you like better? Evil Angels or A Cry in the Dark? A Cry in the Dark. That's I think that's cooler. the original one. That's I don't know why they title. rebranded it. Um, so it came out in 1988, directed by Fred Shapisi. Um Starring Meryl Streep and... Amen. Sam Neill. <laughs> He's all young and stuff and Australian. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie is about a true crime history. <laughs> it's about the woman who's a dingo ate her baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So family torn apart, a public filled with outrage, a woman accused of murder. Based on the true story of Lindy Chamberlain, who, during a family camping trip to Ayers Rock in Central Australia, claimed she witnessed a dingo take her baby daughter, Azaria, from their tent. Azaria's body was never found, and after investigations and two public inquests, she is charged with murder. So other than the famous a dingo ate my baby line, mm. I didn't know anything about kind of the true story behind it's kind of all an interesting of it. Story. Yeah, and what this whole movie, it's like why would they not believe her? Like there were witnesses well, didn't you say everywhere. They were like as a couple, they were really kind of suspicious or something. They're like a part of a, a weird sector of religious Christianity kind of or something. So everyone's like, oh, they're just crazy religious people. Cause like Sam Neill's character, he's like, this is what God intended or whatever. Like he doesn't seem that distraught, mm-hmm. like obviously is behind closed doors, but they keep going on camera and people are like, they just want fame. They're just doing this to yeah. like get their message out. Cause he's like a weird preacher. Um, but it's kind of crazy how it's basically before OJ trial, this was like, 
the big like, the big thing that yeah. everyone was talking about. So the movie goes into a lot of like the. I really enjoyed the like opening and everything because they dive straight into like the incident and like it's kind of creepy and scary. Like you see dingoes like attack a baby. Um, it's not like bloody, but like you see them carry it off into the darkness. Like Harley carries her baby. Out. Yes. She waddles out. Um, and then it goes straight into like police come. And there's like search parties. Like everyone's trying to find this baby, which is still like, why do they think she murdered this baby? Everybody was there. People yeah. saw her. She had like, so like they go further into like the trial stuff later when she gets put on trial like two or three times. Did she go to jail? The last time she did. Um, How long was it before they got exonerated? It was a few years, I think, before she got out because she, the main thing they focused on in the movie is like there was a jacket missing that they never recovered. Mm -hmm. And then some people found it years later and they were like, this is the dingo baby's jacket. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then that kind of like proves, because the whole thing was like the stuff they found the baby wearing was like taken off and not shredded off and there wasn't enough blood on it and like yeah. well if the jacket was on that would be covered in blood and stuff but, yeah yeah but it's just like tears this whole family apart so it's pretty sad from that angle yeah and again she obviously didn't do it <laughs> so it's all about public opinion the media's evil that yeah. type of stuff how uh public opinion can sway even well, and how it against facts became like a joke too. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I only gave it three stars because I feel like after the the beginning is the strongest part, and mm. after that is when it's kind of like repeating the same things. The real over story and, is more interesting than the movie. Yeah, I mm. think so. Plus, uh, they are kind of weird. So, yeah. <laughs> but Meryl Streep gives her best Australian accent. So, <laughs> good for her. <laughs> um, it's streaming on the Criterion channel. I don't know if anybody else would really stream this movie. I feel like it's kind of, well, also you kind of know the ending too. So, it doesn't have as much impact either. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But not bad. A Cry in the Dark, three stars. So next up, you can say this one because I'll just butcher it. (laughs) Tenebrae, 1982, directed by Dario Argento, Terror Beyond Belief. (laughs) An American writer in Rome is stalked by a serial killer bent on harassing him while killing all people associated with his work on his latest book. So he's like a horror writer. He's like Stephen King and people are murdering (laughs) People are getting murdered that are related to the book and they're and they're finding like pages from his book like stuffed in their mouth and stuff. Um I really love this. I think this movie's great. And I like it more than I remembered liking it, because I'd seen it before, but it'd been a long time. Um uh I mean it's just it's got a lot of like classic um Argento stuff that you, you gotta love. I think it has one of Goblin's best scores is one of the big highlights for me. I yeah, think the it, music's I, really good. I think it is their best, sing, their single best theme, and the whole score in general is pretty great. Um, and uh, it's got a lot of good kills. Uh, it's not visually as exciting as like Suspiria or even like Inferno or something, but um, but it does have some good, a bunch of good kills. And the last like 15 minutes are insane. 
like a whole. They are pretty crazy. A whole bunch. <laughs> actually, some of the uh, at the end, there's like a couple. There's like two big twists at the end, and they're I think there's some of his best twists actually. Uh, like Suspiria is awesome, and I love it to death. But it's like once the word witches comes out, you're like, got it. <laughs> like there's no twist to it. You know, it's just like, yep, it's a witch. Um, but this movie, there's. It really, we genuinely did keep guessing wrong who the killer was. It's like every time yeah. we guessed who it was, that person would die next. So it was very carefully plotted in that way. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to spoil it with the killer. But yeah, it did feel a little like a cop out, though. I thought it was clever because it, it makes sense. It makes sense. But then it's like it's not presented like in a way that would let you figure it out. And that's what I'm always trying to do in these movies. Like, who's the killer? I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you could make I don't know. You, you might be right. But um, but and then the second twist that leads to like the, the screaming final shot of the movie yeah. is pretty great, too. Also, there's a dark room with windows, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Come of course, on. You've seen that out. <laughs> I guess if you did it at night, but whatever. Yeah. I did like the music a lot, though. It does have the best theme. Yeah. I mean, Goblin knocks it out of the park on this one for sure. And they've written a lot of good uh, soundtracks, but this one has a lot of good music, and the main theme is probably their best work i think and great kills because there's this giant pointy sculpture art piece and you're like this is gonna come Michelle into play saying, all right when somebody gonna yeah. get impaled by, gonna this get thing. impaled by this and, and they keep what? waiting and waiting it and happens. waiting <laughs> yeah so it's pretty it's pretty great i i would love to own this one um i had forgotten how cool it is um, this is, this Except is for Boob Lady. <laughs> what was boob going lady? on with oh, her? Yeah. <laughs> There's this actress. It's like in her contract. She has to have one boob out at all times. It is weird. Just one. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> I'm hanging loose. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> put your boob away. <laughs> or put them both out. Yeah, one or the other. Decision, lady. <laughs> um, I gave it three and a half. <laughs> I gave it four stars. It's um, on Shutter. Yeah. So, back to me, because Harper abandoned me all the beginning of the month. <laughs> so, I watched a movie called Marathon Man. I'm eager to hear about this one. I've wanted to see this movie for a long time. Came out in 1976, directed by John Schlunger. Schlunger. <laughs> what else has he directed? Midnight Cowboy. Oh, right. Okay. Um... I don't think we've seen any of his other films. That's the main one. Schlesinger? Anyway, one man's dangerous attempts to clear his father's name. Oh, that's just a tagline. <laughs> a graduate student and obsessive runner in New York is drawn into a mysterious plot involving his brother and um, his brother, a member of the secretive division. All right. Hold on to your butts for this cast. Are you holding on to My your butt? My butt is held. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier, 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 Olivier. I love Lawrence <laughs> Roy Schreider, William Devane, Martha Keller, Fritz Weaver. I guess that's everybody. <laughs> everybody in this film looks like somebody important, yeah. um, but I don't recognize their names now. So Marathon Man. I liked this a lot. Yeah. And I think you should definitely watch it. I think you would like it. Um, is it a Nazi thing? It does have Nazis. Okay. Yeah, Nazis. 
Also, it has the craziest opening of like road rage I've ever seen. More than um, body parts. It's on par with that. Okay. <laughs> but imagine that with two old men road raging against hmm. each other through the streets of Dual New York. Style? Yes. All right. Like this guy is like, I'm going to get him and stuff crazy, crazy stuff happens. And that sets off the whole plot of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> there are explosions involved. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, I when I. After I watched this, I was like, I wish there were more government conspiracy, political Nazi thrillers being made like this today because they're so good at it. Like, and when you throw Nazis into any movie, it's just great. Like Odessa file? <laughs> yeah, this is way better than that. Hmm. Um, it felt very similar to Three Days of the Condor, but yeah, more complex. And the only thing I never, they never explain why he runs so much. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like he runs a lot it's like tom cruise level running throughout the whole movie um that well, is the name of the movie yeah it'll also make you scared to go to the dentist oh right this is the one i see i knew i thought i asked you if this was the movie with the scary dentist and you said no maybe i hadn't gotten to it yet okay I don't yeah know. <laughs> i knew that was a thing yeah yeah see i always i haven't this is ridiculous i haven't seen either of these movies but i always get this movie and running man mixed up which running man is a stephen king sort of futuristic movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. <laughs> well, the covers, I think, are the same because he's running on Maybe, this. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, the names always, always get mixed up. Yeah, and Dustin Hoffman's a little... He's a little odd choice for this movie, I feel like, but Roy Schreider is great because he's kind of playing like a double agent spy, which... That's cool. Pretty different from like Jaws and stuff. Yeah. Um, But I also... It talks... It's a lot about like kind of hidden Nazis in society too. So there's like this secret organization of Nazis living among us who escaped from World War II in Germany and like... Like Odessa file. Yeah. So it's a lot like that. Hmm. Um, This might make the list. The the 2022 discoveries list. Okay. Although it's not really a discovery probably for lots of people, but for me it is. is. That's all that matters. (laughs) So I think you should definitely watch it. Yeah, I'd like to watch it. It's been on my list for decades. Yeah, I'm really getting into political thrillers lately. (laughs) I keep trying to add more and more into our watch list. Yeah. They're just good. I like them. Um, Yeah, I don't want to say too much about spoiling a bunch of stuff. It also has a great ending. Um, And yeah. Great opening, great ending, and Dustin Hoffman running. Cool. <laughs> Four stars. <laughs> it's streaming on Prime. <laughs> All right. What's next, Harper? Next up is Crimes of the Future. 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 Brand new movie. Future. Directed by <laughs> David Cronenberg. He's back. <laughs> In a big way. So... Crimes of the Future came out this year, 2022. You already said David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is there a cool tagline? Enter the heart of darkness. It's <laughs> kind of a lame tagline. This is also a long description, but basically it's the not too distant future where human evolution is changing for some reason and people are growing extra organs and there is a new organize, government organization that wants to kind of keep track of all of the organs. Right, because humans are like evolving at a rapid rate and they're trying to keep track of it. Yeah, and they are, it's 
getting down to like, are you even technically a human anymore yeah. if you have these other weird things going on? And it stars Viggo Mortensen and Leah Sadu, who are both performance artists, and they do these weird like surgery pieces because Viggo Mortensen's body keeps producing organs. Yeah. And so she like tattoos them and takes them out like as a performative art thing. And then you also have Kristen Stewart and Scott Speedman and Welkit Bungu. That's a weird name. Welkit. Yeah. I take it he's He's, He's from Portuguese com- Guinea. And Don McKellar. Those are kind of the main six people that yeah. you follow. Um, well, I think the obvious thing to say about this one. Weird, weird, weird. It's true. <laughs> oh, boy, is it weird, but it is pretty cool. Yes. So I don't think it's his my bet or my favorite of Cronenberg's, but I do think this is definitely like back to kind of what he was really good at doing. Well, one thing I find really interesting about it is I feel like this is definitely in a lot of ways, i very obviously it's a return to like Videodrome existence. Yeah. Crash. Like those very like very sci-fi heavy, very sci-fi heavy, very body modification. And like where humans and sex and technology meet in this bizarre crossroads. <laughs> but also, I think it also incorporates a lot of his late era, like um, crime stuff, like yeah. history of violence and Eastern promises. Like it has definitely has like a crime element to it. Like he's, he's trying to combine both of his. Styles. Yeah. He's de- like Viggo Mortensen's character is also like kind of a, not a double agent, but like he's kind of spying on people too. He's, yeah, he's trying to uncover this like underground organization of organ body performances, even though he's a part of it. Like that's his his uh, cover. Yeah, well, he like as a performance artist, he like acts like he enjoys growing these new organs because it's like an artistic expression. But in truth, maybe I mean, depending on which version of himself is the one that's really him. He's also like hates it, and he the only reason he does is because he wants the organs removed out of his body because he doesn't want them. Yeah, he's like, why do you think I keep cutting myself open? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a, just a very interesting. I mean, the idea is like humans have evolved to where they don't have uh, pain or infections, so surgery is like something people do all the time for fun, which is just gross. <laughs> Oh, it's super gross. I, it was funny to me that you, we walked out, I was like, well, that's the grossest Cronenberg movie I've ever seen. And you were like, oh, I, didn't, I mean, I was surprised it didn't gross you out more. Well, I built this up in my head so much that I was going to like get lightheaded or passed out because all I kept hearing was like people were vomiting at like Sundance or whatever and Cannes Film Festival. And it's just like, oh my God, like how bad is this going to be? Like, Am I Because, like, I hate anything medical. Like, yeah. I can't watch medical stuff, especially with, like, if Cronenberg's making it realistic. Like, I'm going to pass out in the theater. And this is a movie where, like, <laughs> instead of having sex, people just, like, cut each other open and, like, feel their yeah. guts and stuff. But for <laughs> so some reason, it didn't bother graphic. me, which I guess is good. <laughs> yeah. I didn't pass out. <laughs> but it wasn't, like, it had gross elements, but I guess it wasn't, like, disturbing 
because it's just surgery. Well, it's not like people being sliced open and like, I don't know, my, throwing their body parts. My thought everywhere. about that is like the difference between this and like the fly, which is far less Ugh. graphic, but way yeah. more disturbing is because you have in the fly, you have such a like strong emotional connection to these characters. Whereas I didn't really <laughs> yeah. feel emotionally connected to anybody in this movie. Yeah. That's what I, I kind of wrote. There's, it was definitely more like intellectual than emotional. Yeah. Because, like, that's what I was missing for this film is, like, the fly element. Because, like, I cried at the end of fly, the fly. Oh, the fly it's is like, very it's upsetting. awful, like, making that choice and stuff. But, um, yeah, for this, it was just, there was too many loose ends. And, like, I mostly liked Vigo, but you don't really get to know him that well. I like that he's like Rick from Rick and Morty where he's constantly just like. Yeah, <laughs> he is pretty gross with his little eating chair. He's always just like <laughs> on the verge of vomiting all the time yeah. or something. Yeah, his throat's always messed up. <laughs> also, I'm just, I'm so tired of Kristen Stewart. Too. Yeah, it's sad. I just don't. I, I don't keep think giving she's her good. chances yeah. and everybody loves her. And I'm just like, I just don't see it. Yeah. I find her. She was too annoying. annoying in this. And I mean, she's kind of supposed to be like, they even talk about her character as like, ugh. yeah, she's but, like obsessive yeah, fan she, culture yeah. person. But, but yeah. I, I agree with you. I think the ending of the movie is actually pretty cool. Like it's a cool ending, but it, um, when it ended, I was like, Oh, cause there's, I feel like there are all these, like you said, loose ends. Like it feels like, there's a half a dozen scenes that are missing. Like there's this whole subplot where he gets involved in this inner beauty contest. Yeah. <laughs> um, that doesn't ever seem to like matter or have an effect on anything really. And like, there's these two girls that repair these weird technology yeah. things that are going around. Well, I don't want to give it away, I guess, but there's something going on with them that is never seems really important, but yeah. never really <laughs> adds up to anything. Uh, uh Leah Sadu's character uh, gets like this new obsession with like macaroni. body modification. Yeah, macaroni, <laughs> macaroni body modification. Like yeah, she gets like really hot and bothered watching this performance art where this woman gets like scars, yeah. her face scarred up and stuff. And so she does it like once, and they make a big deal out of it, and then they never really come back to yeah, that. Like, like it doesn't seem to does. have an effect <laughs> on anything. So it just seems like there's a lot of crucial threads. Once they introduce this idea of like this group, this weird like underground group that's modifying, I don't want to give away what they're doing, but um, once they get into that, they kind of abandon all these subplots, and it feels like it feels like this movie could have been like 45 minutes longer. Definitely, I feel like there's a, a longer version out there that we need. Yeah, I'd be curious if there is, if there will be a director's cut or something because it definitely feels like a lot is missing. Yeah, but the good stuff. I mean, all of the effects look pretty good. There was only like oh, yeah. one scene where like it's a little CGI, but like all of his uh, actual set pieces look great. Mm -hmm. And the production design is insane. All the yeah. like machines and the weird. And they, where did they shoot? You said they shot it. Greece. Yeah, it, it, which is funny because it looks like this sort of like run down. When it, I was feature. watching, it was like, it looks just like Athens. And then later it was like, it's filmed in Athens. Yeah. Because it does have that vibe. So I, I think it's um, it's not perfect, but it was pretty close to what I've wanted from a Cronenberg movie for the last, I don't know, 15 years. So what's the la <laughs> what's his last like great body or like cr either crash or existence, I guess? The fly. <laughs> I, I mean, know. that was way farther back, but yeah. Um, um, I haven't seen Crash. I haven't seen Dead Ringers. Um, Scanners. That's way older. Naked Lunch, Existence. Oh, yeah. Brood. This definitely had a Naked Lunch feel to it in like the kind of 
meandering narrative aspect yeah. of it. I forgot about that. I was going to make that comparison. Yeah. I do wonder if he came back to make this type of movie only because his son has been making sci-fi body horror movies too and he felt jealous or envious. Yeah, it does. <laughs> or it, maybe inspired. He's like, yeah, why shouldn't I be making yeah, these again? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. And it is, it's so strange that his son is such a similar filmmaker to him. I mean, how could he not be though? Yeah. They must have had a very weird house <laughs> growing yeah, up. No kidding. <laughs> Dad, can I go in the TV again? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I only gave it three and a half stars, but I think it's mostly because I'm comparing it to his other films. I gave it a four. I think if, if, if the, some of those threads had been wrapped up, it would have been closer to a four and a half. Like yeah. I was really enjoying it. And then by the end, I was like, oh, I just wanted a little more. Yeah. So. It's definitely worth seeing. Yeah. And especially if you're a Cronenberg fan. Yeah. But you can only see it in theaters and I don't think it's out anymore. So I don't know when it's going to come to streaming or on demand? I think it already is on streaming. Oh, cool. Actually. Uh, although Letterbox doesn't say where, but I think it is somewhere. Just nothing that we have. I yeah, guess. maybe it's Paramount Plus or something. Anyways. Um, yeah, so Crimes of the Future. Go see it. Next up, I watched a movie without my Harper alone again mm. called River's Edge which came out in 1986, directed by Tim Hunter. The most controversial film you will see this year. <laughs> I don't know. We should pull up 1986. <laughs> <laughs> a group of high school friends discover that they are in the presence of a killer. One of them, Samson, has murdered his girlfriend, Jamie. He brags to his friends about killing her, and when they discover he is telling the truth, their reactions vary. So... This stars Crispin Glover, Keanu Reeves, uh, I think it's Ione Sky, Daniel Roebuck, Dennis Hopper, Taylor Negron, Joshua John Miller, and a bunch of other little kids. Who's Daniel Roebuck? That name sounds so familiar. Daniel Roebuck is the killer um, friend. He's in Devil's Rejects, Halloween... The Rob Zombie ones, uh, oh, Lords of Salem. Okay, I think I know who you're talking about. Also in The Fugitive. I love The Fugitive. <laughs> so, basically, this movie is Stand By Me, but with high schoolers, and instead of going to see a dead body, one of them killed that dead body. <laughs> hmm. Um and also it has a lot of like kind of Twin Peaks vibes because yeah. the whole opening, I was like, this looks just like how Twin Peaks opens with Laura Palmer's body, just like by the beach. Um, but it's, I enjoyed it more than I thought it was, I was going to. I don't think it's like, I guess at the time it was probably really controversial, but it was interesting to see like how each of the friends who are friends with this killer react and like, so Keanu Reeves is like, nah, like he feels off about it and, but he doesn't want to betray all his friends, but like, should I call the cops and let them know? But then like, he's also not like their whole kind of group is always in trouble with the law. Mm. Like they're the bad kids, bad in school, dropouts, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like this moral dilemma that he's facing where like, do you do the right thing or do you betray or stay with your friends? Like which one's worth more? Yeah. Um, because also like that person who died is their friend. She was in their group. <laughs> so there's also like some, uh, female perspectives too, uh, with 
one of one or two girls in the group who are like they could just do this to us at any moment and like mm. would we want someone to go to the cops over our dead body yeah um but then crispin glover is like insane in this movie he's so really? over the top but it's so weird yeah i know it's so unlike him um but he's just like we gotta hide the body we gotta get you out of town we gotta raise money and like make sure you don't like get in trouble with the cops we gotta hide you at dennis hopper's house because he like he's the drug dealer of the neighborhood oh, okay also, Dennis Hopper has a blow-up doll girlfriend, <laughs> so he's not right either. Hmm. And his whole thing was like, I killed my girlfriend like years ago, and so like he's kind of like this older perspective of this person, and like they're kind of like balancing off each other too. Where like the friend has no remorse, where Dennis Hopper like is so remorseful. So it's like, hmm. like does there is her friend a sociopath? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Seems like it. <laughs> he is, yeah. <laughs> um, and it feel it felt very realistic for how probably teenagers in the eighties would have handled this whole situation. And there's also some good like classroom discussions throughout, kind of giving different opinions. Because like there's the cool teacher who brings up like, "How are none of you like crying? Your friend is dead. What does that say about all of you in society and stuff?" Yeah. So it was way more interesting than I thought it was gonna be. Hmm. So I ended up liking it. I gave it three and a half stars. It's on Prime and Tubi. And yeah, I don't know for sure if you would love it or not. Hmm. But it does have Stand By Me vibes, but not as nostalgic, like happiness. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder, and I'm sure you wonder the same about me when I watch these B-horror movies, like, where do you find these movies? (laughs) You watch the movie about the dingo baby and now this This is all like the same day. I don't remember exactly. I've been going through Letterbox a lot and looking at lots of different film lists. Nice. Good idea. <laughs> and that's kind of where I come up with my watch list stuff, where I have like stuff I can watch without you and stuff that I want to watch with you. Yeah. And so this was like, mm, it sounds interesting enough, but not up Harper's Alley necessarily. So it was on some list. I can't remember. Yeah. But I like the crime, crime stuff. You do. That's so. true. Uh, yeah. River's Edge. Cool. Next up is very much Harper's. Yes. Harper's bag, <laughs> Harper's alley. And that is Shin Godzilla from 2016. Directed by... We Hide- need that theme. We just play it whenever. <laughs> Directed by Hideaki Anno. I think we need a uh, Godzilla roar on our soundboard. Definitely. Reality. Uh, that's not... <laughs> oh, reality. This is a, ter- this is a terrible <laughs> tagline, I'm not, and this is not the one I'm familiar with. It says, reality, parentheses, Japan, versus fiction, parentheses, Godzilla. What does that even mean? The it's a little complicated. The better tagline is, uh, a god incarnate, a city doomed. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Um, that's the one I always see anyways. So this is the basically reboot of Godzilla from 2016. The first Toho Godzilla in like, uh, many, many years, like almost 10 years, I think. Um, and basically Godzilla comes out of the ocean in Tokyo Bay and evolves from like this funky looking, (laughs) creepy Marine version to like, Weird, weird, weird. <laughs> He's got like the most bubbly little eyeballs I've ever seen on a monster. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, he slowly, over the course of the movie, evolves into 
more or less the same Godzilla we're familiar with, but a even more giant and really terrifying looking version of Godzilla. Um, I adore this movie. I think it is probably the best Godzilla movie, um, in my opinion. It is really, really good. Um, and it's been a while since we've seen it. Well, yeah, there was, I'd had a very odd release where in the U S in most cities, it was only here for like a one week engagement. And in Atlanta it was only in one theater for one week. And we went and saw it at one of those showings. And then I don't think it was available on Blu-ray for a long time either. Um, this is only my third time seeing it, which is a little surprising because I love this movie so much. But we got to see it on the big screen yeah, at thank the you. plaza. Thank you, Plaza and Video Drum, for doing that because it was a it was a big. We're deal. like a sold out, almost sold out. Yeah, it, really. was a, it was packed. Probably the most busy theater we've been in in three years. I yeah. would say. Um, yeah, so it was really cool to see it with a big audience, and um, yeah, I mean, I love this movie because it's got fantastic Godzilla action with some of the with. I think the most devastatingly brutal uh, destruction scene in any Godzilla movie, any kaiju movie yeah. um, that is both cool and horrifying at the same time. Um, also, it is incredibly funny. I think it's this, it's a, the whole movie is a, like a satire. It's um, based around the, uh, I don't, what's the name of the place that the nuclear facility that like a couple years before this, like 2014 ish, um, that uh, got hit with a tsunami. tsunami and they had like a major nuclear disaster in Japan. And this movie is basically all about how poorly they handled that. Just all the red tape bureaucracy and like how you have a hundred committees to make like one decision. I'm like, what should we do? Right. Let's go to the other conference room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, this is just the pre-conference it's just room. <laughs> constant like political meeting after political meeting where they don't accomplish anything and nobody believes the people who are actually trying to get something done. And yeah. Uh, it's all the kind of like losers and geeks and weirdos who solve, end up solving the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, to me, it's like a, it's a perfect Godzilla movie. And I always also forget the final shot and how incredibly strange and creepy and mysterious it is. Uh, oh I, yeah. That's very weird. I don't want to give it away, but there's <laughs> like a weird, there's a shot of Godzilla's tail at the very end that you're like, what is that? <laughs> I think someone even was like, what? Like in the theater. <laughs> yeah. It's super strange and really interesting. Um, yeah, I love this movie to death and I, I always forget how much I love it. Um, so it was, it was a real pleasure to get to see it in a theater. It could probably be overwhelming for someone who the first time, but like, since this was like the second for me and third for you, it was definitely, you could just sit back and enjoy like, this is just funny. And like, you don't necessarily need to know the room name or even the people's names. It's like (laughs) an ongoing joke in the movie to constantly give you way more information than you could possibly take in like about yeah the name everybody's names and positions <laughs> and the rooms they're meeting yeah i mean you yeah. don't it's it's Their unmet. job titles change it. like it's constantly like, you don't yeah. have to worry about reading all of that yeah and the movie moves super fast so fast it's crazy it's just like non-stop like yeah godzilla's here what are we gonna do let's go over there let's try this no godzilla's evolving let's go here let's do this <laughs> where's that expert <laughs> and then it ends up being about how like the rest of the world is like going on America's side, like, let's just drop a nuke on Japan yeah. and be done with it. And yeah, like, that oh, part's no. all dark too. And Japan's like, we can't let them like nuke us again. Yeah. Like, Ooh, <laughs> it definitely goes back to some earlier Godzilla movies. Yeah. So yeah, this is a fantastic, I'm, I really hope they follow up on this at some point. I know they're doing a Shin Ultraman movie, which I don't know much about Ultraman, but me neither. Uh, yeah, this is great. 
So I'm guessing you gave it five stars. It's a five. I did four and a half. That's all right. I still love you. <laughs> no divorce today. <laughs> oh, you're not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So next up, I watched another movie by myself, but oh boy. you have seen this one. I have. No, I recommended you watch this, actually. Yeah. And that is Black Narcissus, which came out in 1947. What a great title. Directed by Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Powell. Mm -hmm. A story of exquisite yearning in a strange and beautiful land towering over the screen as the mountains that saw it happen. A group of Angelican... Anglican, not Anglican. <laughs> Anglican nuns led by Sister Clodagh are sent to a mountain in the Himalayas. The climate in the region is hostile and the nuns are housed in an odd old palace. They work to establish a school and a hospital, but slowly their focus shifts. Sister Ruth falls for a government worker, Mr. Dean, and begins to question her vow of celibacy. As Sister Ruth obsesses over Mr. Dean, Sister Clogdag <laughs> becomes immersed in her own memories of love. Starring Deborah Kerr, David Farrar, <laughs> Flora Robson, Kathleen Byron. Um, Deborah Kerr is the one from, um, yeah, The Innocents. Yes, yeah. she's really good. Except there's another... The one, the nun who goes crazy looks just like her, and it was a little confusing with Is that her. Flora Robson, I think so. And I was really surprised, David um, Ferrer, Ferrar. He was like in nothing else. I'm like, this dude is great. Like, huh. I'm really surprised. He had like the perfect a lot of movies, voice. But I don't recognize any of yeah. these? Yeah. Like, I swear, like. I thought he had been in tons of stuff. He looks like he was in a lot of these like action kind of adventure movies. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So this movie's a little hard to review because it came out in a time when brown face was acceptable. Mm. So you have to, I guess, just accept that and move on. Like, I yes, mean, it's a little weird. I mean, we did for Lawrence yeah. of Arabia. <laughs> it's... I don't know why they chose to do it. They also, there's some racist comments too, but they're already doing brown face. So what can you expect? Um, it, past all of that, I thought the film was very suspenseful. And I know it's, it's kind of known for like it's beautiful matte paintings and yeah. elaborate sets, which still look pretty great. There's only a few scenes where it's like, you can tell it's a painting, but it's still like, the best painting that's ever been painted like as a backdrop. Like it's still pretty awesome. Um, and also I thought the plot was super intriguing and you get to see this crazy, like climactic character transformation ever based on a nun who just wants to get laid really, really bad. <laughs> and just how it's like, they just keep referencing how it's like it's the mountains, it's this air, it's this climate, like it just does something to people. Yeah. So it's like very cool backstory. Um, I did feel like the main nun who's kind of in charge of everybody, it's her backstory is super depressing because she's basically only a nun because some dude didn't want to marry her and she had to escape the embarrassment Jeez. from her town. <laughs> Yikes. so they have a lot of flashbacks with her like falling in love and that guy like i'm going to america peace yeah. <laughs> she's like i guess i have to be a nun now <laughs> like <laughs> i'll just die yeah <laughs> uh 
So that was also like, yikes, 1940s sucked. <laughs> I remember liking this movie a lot, but it, when I reviewed it, it was in the pre-letterbox day, so I don't have a review to mm. remind me. So here's what I want to do, Michelle. Yeah. There are a lot of really funny sounding uh, little bits from reviews on Letterbox. I want to read Pitsy <laughs> and you tell me if you agree, okay? Okay. Patrick Willem says, man, memories seem wild. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right. Wait. <laughs> All right, uh, I, I'm just going to read bits from this one. Uh, everybody deals with horniness in their own way. Some become controlling and stern. Others work the potatoes so hard their hands start to look like Yingy Malmsteins. Every once in a while, you get Sister Ruth, who gets so horny she goes insane and becomes a hot freak who runs in the shadows like a human cat. She really does. She just like, she's very weird. They have like this little child uh, who kind of runs errands for them and he has a package. She's like, give me that package because she like ordered it from from town. And she's like, and then you see what she ordered later. And then she's like running through the jungle. What if they did a crazy nun universe, shared universe, and they had this nun versus um, the nun from the devils? Yeah, I think you could do a triple feature. We haven't seen it, but Benedetta sounds like oh, this. Yeah. So Black Narcissus, the Devils, and Benedetta. Crazy, crazy nuns. Crazy nun I, uh, universe. I got, I got two more for you, okay? All right. Uh, in a perfect world, this is what comic book movies would look like. <laughs> I don't know. That one's weird. Uh, so I think this person's mostly talking about like, the colors and stuff. Yeah, it is technical. Uh, right, how about this one? Being a nun seems awesome. You get to ring a big bell all the time. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, the bell is integral to the plot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I got to watch this again. It's been a very long time. I got obsessed with seeing this movie for a while because when I was in school, we had a project uh, in our my sound class where you had, to you had to pick a scene from a movie and redesign the sound for it. And somebody picked like one of the final scenes where the nun's got like the black eye makeup on. She looks like super crazy. And I was like, I was like, this is, looks like the coolest horror movie I've never seen. It is definitely borders on horror, I guess, just like psychological thriller drama. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I need to watch it again. It's been a very long time. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So I gave it four stars and it's streaming on HBO and Criterion channel. Cool. All right, here we go. Where are we going? We're going to talk about... I got about my list up. Oh. My, <laughs> Miami Vice from 2006, directed by Michael... Bumman. <laughs> uh, no law, no rules, no order. That is one big pilot. S-H-I-T. <laughs> yeah. This movie sucked. I agree. Very disappointing. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, it sucked. Stars, Jamie. Did you say he was stars? No, I didn't get to that. Jamie Foxx, Colin Farrell, Gong Li, Naomi Harris, Siren yeah. Hines, yeah. Justin Throw, Barry Shabaka Henley, a bunch of other people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hated this movie so much. I did too. And I don't understand. It's like we watched a different movie because everybody on Letterboxd loves it. And that's why I wanted to watch it because I kept hearing like the action's great. It's like awesome. Michael Mann's the man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they were like, "What is this?" <laughs> I always assumed that this was junk. Yeah, but then I was like, "Well, this is only two years after Collateral, which is pretty good." Yeah, Collateral's so solid. It's not Michael Mann's best, but it's pretty good. 
And then, yeah, we kept seeing reviews from our friends and from other people on Letterboxd that are like, they acted like this is really good. And this is, was, yeah, it was just kind of terrible. Awful. I like the way it starts. I like that it starts there in like the middle of a sting. Like you get no mm-hmm. introduction whatsoever. You're just kind of thrown right into the action, which is really cool. Um, but it's, uh, and there's, there's two good, like very short, but two pretty good action scenes. One, one is really just a kill yeah. in the beginning with a machine gun. That's insane. And then there's a big shootout at the climax. That's pretty good. It's not, it's not like heat shootout, no. but it's pretty good. Um, but other than that, the movie is like corny. It feels very amateurish to me. It's also shot digitally, which just, it looks so cheap now. Well, it's funny. Like, which sometimes I don't yes, mind. Yes, it does look, the, the digital looks cheap, but it's even not, it's not even just the fact that like the film grain looks cheap, but it's also that the way the camera is used is yeah, corny. Like there's is. these weird zoom ins that seem to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, the camera work is kind of baffling. Um, yeah, it's all overall just hugely disappointing. Yeah, the whole movie just feels super sloppy and rushed and, and, I mean, it's literally just like the movie is like eight makeout scenes um, with like some plot in between. And the plot is really confusing. So the it's makeout so scenes confusing. are really all you've got to go. <laughs> yeah, I was like one or two sex scenes. Sure. Why not? But when you're up to like over five and you still haven't had a car chase, like you got to balance it a little bit. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't understand. Like it's Miami Vice. It's based on like an action TV show and there's no action. And the other big thing to note, what is up with all the audio slave? <laughs> there's a lot of audio Michael Man uses two different audio slave <laughs> songs in three different places in this movie and it's like dude we get it you like audio yeah. slave it does not make sense to put that in a movie I like audio slave too it's really well, weird every movie's barely gonna have audio slave and like a character looking wistfully out at the beach and like I think I was even like he's gonna look the at ocean. that beach and then yeah. Colin Farrell like looks out he's like talking in the middle of a conversation he's just looking yeah, at the beach awkward zoom in on his, it's like what what is this? What's like happening? Michael Mann is obsessed with night beaches. It's so weird. What happened, Michael Mann? <laughs> um, yeah, it started off okay, but then it just it gets so com- complicated. It's not good. It's not. I'm really. I was so annoyed after this. I'm like, this is what I chose to spend like two and a half hours on my yeah. day. <laughs> like, this sucks. <laughs> I agree. It was not wor- not worth watching. Yeah. So two and a half stars. Uh, yep. Doing it one again. Big <laughs> you got it twice, Michael man. Boo. <laughs> All right. So we had to go the opposite route after watching Miami Vice with something a, a crazy action movie. Yeah, it's time to get go in a very it was different like, direction. I need action now. This is what we're gonna watch. <laughs> and that is R R R, which came out in 2022, directed by SS Rajamali. Rise, Roar, Revolt. Uh fictional history of two legendary revolutionaries journey away from home before they begin fighting for their country in the 1920s. Starring N.T. Ramaro Jr. and Ram Sharan and Aliyah Bhatt and Aya Devden and Ray Stevenson. Wait, who was the girl? Allison Duty? Yeah. Duty. <laughs> Allison Duty. No, the, the young girl is Olivia Morris. No, Allison Duty is who I'm talking about. She okay, was in sorry. Indiana Jones, yes. Nazi lady girlfriend. Uh, 
This movie was bonkers and I loved it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> bonkers with three R's. Yeah, bonkers. <laughs> uh, agree. Um, yeah, it's really a blast. I mean, once you kind of get into like the cheesy bromance part of it. It's so cheesy bromance and I love where it. Where they're like high-fiving and <laughs> like know. feeding each other ice cream and that kind of stuff. <laughs> riding on motorcycles Skipping together. down like the alleyways. <laughs> Dancing, the, dan- doing a dance-off at a wedding. Suspender dance-off. Yeah. Um, it's was just it got... Done? nacho dance nacho or something something like that yeah <laughs> um it's yeah the action is like super over the top and a ton of fun the dance sequences are really well choreographed and cool and, and a lot of fun um and i had uh, it, the the like super epic revolutionary plot is actually surprisingly well out cons- well thought out considering yeah. how like silly the action is mm-hmm. um because yeah, it is really fun. It's and it's just such an odd thing too. It's like I didn't realize watching it until afterwards that the two these two people are they're based on two real people who never met really, but like the, they're two like intertwining stories of how they like are seeking to overthrow Throughout the, the British, British. Uh, in in India. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's I mean this is just it's hard to imagine having more fun watching a movie. Yeah, um, than this for sure. And it is three hours, but it does it goes by fast, like it's so enjoyable. And you can just take a break and take an intermission. Yeah, basically <laughs> three hours. <laughs> and yeah, we were. It's crazy that this film kind of broke through because there's. I feel like there's a lot of Indian films and Bollywood movies that have all of these elements, and I don't know why yeah. this one in particular was just like re-released in theaters everyone's talking about it like netflix is promoting it like on front page and stuff and it's just i'm glad it it got uh such a huge success yeah for whatever reason this one really broke through and it's i mean it's great i don't know if there are other movies that are up to this par coming out of like the bollywood action scene but um this one is particularly a lot of fun and i was really glad we watched it yeah there were a lot of moments where i was like what like when (laughs) It was like, uh, I'm going to release a bunch of wild animals <laughs> like off the of, back of a truck well, I knew it was gonna <laughs> to be fight the British. <laughs> when they do the main theme song, when like 30 minutes into the movie, you finally get the title of the movie and they do like the main theme song with like their bromance <laughs> yeah. uh, montage. And this theme song is like, will their friendship yeah. <laughs> survive or will there be betrayal? It's like yeah. just spelling out the plot of the movie. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, And it was. And then at some point we're like, is there going to be a dance sequence? And then like, like 30 minutes yeah, later, it like it's like instantly. the best dance sequence of all time. Yes. They like <laughs> make, a, make a fool off. out of the like British uh, guy who's, who's like, you can't take why are these brown men in here? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, super corny. I love the, it's everything you want in a movie. <laughs> it is a lot of fun. It's what, it's, it's what a great movie experience should be. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I gave it four stars. I did too. And it's streaming on Netflix. Oh boy. <laughs> you can do this one. <laughs> All right. Next we're going to talk about The Baby from 1973. This is another movie on Joe Bob's last drive in. Uh, the Baby, 1973, directed by Ted Post. What goes on in this nursery isn't for kids. Mm. Who's mm-hmm. it for then? <laughs> this is the weirdest poster ever. Um, 
A social worker who recently lost her husband investigates the strange Wadsworth family. The Wadsworths might not seem too unusual to hear about them at first, consisting of the mother, two grown daughters, and the diaper-clad, bottle-sucking baby. The problem is, the baby is 21 years old. The baby. (laughs) The titular baby. Um, We need a laugh track. Whenever you do a good joke, I need a... So, yeah, there's a bunch of just, like, weird stuff going on with this family where, like, yeah, the baby is, like, 20 years old and you're like, is he really, like, is there really, like, a mental thing or is it just that they've, like, trained him? Abused him him so much. Because they don't want him to grow up. And, uh, yeah, and, yeah, this movie is, like, just strange and... Well, yeah, it even goes beyond that strangeness because the ending is super strange, too. The ending is bananas i did not see the ending coming i'm not gonna spoil it no so they it's crazy up, though they built this whole thing where the social workers she seems pretty normal and she seems like she genuinely is trying to like help the yeah ba- oh by the way the baby's name is baby yeah she's trying, trying to, to help, help baby. baby and like get him in somewhere where he can like actually develop um but then they're always cutting back to like her at her house with her mother-in-law and they're always talking about her husband had like an accident or yeah. something but they never show him and you're always like what's going on with her husband and what is and and they're like uh, they're always talking about like this pool that they're getting put in in the backyard. Yeah. There's always like these weird <laughs> conversations they're having. You're like, okay, how's this all going to tie in? And in the last ten minutes, boy howdy, does it all come together in a way that I did not see coming, and it yeah. is crazy. Um, it's so weird. I mean, I really enjoyed this. My only thing is that I think for like an exploitation classic i feel like it moves a little too slowly like it like there's not enough crazy like there's a lot of weird stuff Mm -hmm. but it's not crazy until the very end and so it kind of feels like it moves a little too slowly for a long time it does um you know the movie's not that long but um yeah it's just like i don't know it it could it could have zipped up zipped uh along a little faster (laughs) until that crazy ending and i would have probably liked it a little bit more but it does get a shout out for being like an all lady cast. Pretty much. And lady centric story. (laughs) It's definitely lady centric for 1973. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wrote, it's very odd and off putting, but, (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't see the ending coming. So that's, that's good in my book because usually it's predictable and this isn't, (laughs) it's out there. I gave it three stars. Yes, I gave it three and a half. Shutter and Tubi is where you can see the baby. The baby. <laughs> um, next up, we watched another Joe Bob movie. We have so many Joe Bobs. Yeah, it's and, that, time, that time of yeah, year. Only for a few, another week. Yeah. Um, and that is The Monster Club, which came out in 1981, directed by Roy Ward Baker. You'll meet some interesting people and hear some great songs at the Monster Club. What a a terrible tagline. (laughs) A vampire attacks a horror author on the street and then invites him to a nearby club as a gesture of gratitude, which turns out to be a meeting place for assorted creatures of the night. Also, we didn't realize they were supposed to be creatures of the night. We just thought it was like a Halloween party. It does, because it's clearly just people (laughs) wearing terrible masks. Yeah. The vampire then regales him with three stories, each interspersed with musical performances at the club. So, it stars Vincent Price, John Carradine, Donald Pleasance. Well, it, they're all throughout different stories. 
Uh, were there any other familiar people? Um, Stuart Whitman, Britt Eklund, Richard Dunstan. Yeah, Britt Eklund from uh, Wicker Man. Anthony Steele. Um, it's a horror anthology movie. Yeah. Um, the wraparound is The Monster Club, and there's three segments. Uh, I'm trying to remember. First segment is the gothic one that's kind of like a romance crime thing with the castle and the... Yeah, that one was interesting. That's the best one to me by far. Then the second one is the um, vampire family with Donald Pleasance as the vampire hunter. Yeah. He comes to kill the dad. What's the third one? I'm blanking. The film producer village. He's going to look for oh, a movie right. set yeah. and he finds a very Ghouls. odd ghouly village. It's foggy and full of, he gets trapped in the ghoul the town ghouls. where the ghouls want to <laughs> kill him and dig him up and eat him. Yeah. I thought it was, it's definitely a little, it's a bizarre little horror anthology yeah, movie. <laughs> I found it a little disappointing because for the first like 30, 40 minutes, I was like, this is great. Yeah, it's just campy and goofy enough well, with yeah. Vincent Price doing, like he can never do anything wrong. Like the wraparound <laughs> is super silly and fun where, yeah, uh, it's just like, I mean, yeah, he bites him in the alley and he's like, hey, you want to come to this club? Yeah. It's just like very silly. And then, yeah, the goofy masks we mentioned and stuff. And there's like music performances at the club are like kind of fun. Um, and then the first segment is really good. I think, mm-hmm. uh, that it's like th- basically this married couple, the guy, they're trying to like pull a scam and the guy's like, you should, he tells his wife, like, you should go work for this rich guy and you can get in his good graces and then steal a bunch of stuff from him. And so she does, she agrees to do it. And he's, the guy is like this weird monster and she, um, I wouldn't say falls for him, but like like kind of starts to really like him. And so yeah. she feels really bad and, but she does it anyways. She yeah. steals the money, steals jewels from his, uh, safe anyways. And things when he falls in well. love with her. Yeah. Um, that one I thought was great. And it was kind of cool to have this like kind of serious, uh, segment that really contrasts with like the cartoony wraparound. Yeah. But then the second story is just really kind of goofy. Yeah, Donald Pleasance is, is weird. He's fun, but that's the only kind of part I really liked about it. And then the third segment was just like, eh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it kind of petered out by the end. But um, the first segment's very good. Yeah. And I just like Vincent Price. I wish he was still around. Yeah, there's <laughs> not really weird, a, like horror night stuff. <laughs> I wish there was that still. I feel like that like tongue in cheek kind of horror mm-hmm. thing like Elvira and Vincent Price is kind of gone. And it makes me sad because I really like that style a lot. And th- yeah, the, the wraparound part of this definitely captured that in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. And it's really fun. Yeah. So it's okay. It was a little disappointing, but uh, it's not. Yeah. Really- not every segment's a winner. I, I mean, gave it. It's all um, anthologies. I gave it three stars. I did too. And it's streaming on Shutter and Tubi. Um, and we watched another Joe Pop movie, and that is the Stepfather, which we may have potentially talked about twice already on this podcast. It's possible. Actually, because I watched it without you and then you watched it without me. Yeah. So but we're going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to go into like a ton of detail, I guess. Yeah. 
So this came out in 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. He wanted a perfect family in a perfect town, but they couldn't measure up. Neither could the others. <gasps> Who am I here? Is <laughs> on the poster. Who am I here? A seemingly mild-mannered man who has just murdered his entire family mm-hmm, quickly mm-hmm. adopts a new identity and leaves town. After building a new relationship with a widow and her teenage daughter, he struggles to hide his true identity and maintain a grip on reality. Starring Terry O'Quinn as the stepfather. <laughs> Jill Sholin, Shelley Hack, Charles Lanyard, Stephen Shellen, Stephen E. Miller, Robin Stebbin. Um, this movie is even better the second time we watched it. It's really great, man. I have to say. It has kind of like a after-school TV movie special feel, but I think it works in its favor uh-huh. because it's very like suburban life perfect family like aura perfect children like this is how the perfect family should be but then it starts off super opening is so crazy with like like just bloody gory mess everywhere well yeah the movie starts with him like cleaning off taking a shower and like changing himself into a new person like shaving his beard off and cutting his hair changing clothes yeah and then walking out and you see like the whole family slaughtered family yeah (laughs) so there's it's really interesting because there's no question from frame one that he is the killer yeah and you know what's going to happen the whole time so it's really tense Mm -hmm. and he is so terrifying in this movie (laughs) he is he's so creepy He's so like genuinely kind of likable in public. And then when you, when he, like, when she catches him in the basement, when he's doing his like little freak out in the basement, <laughs> and he's just like, ah, yeah. ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it's really, really scary. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. And um, then the lengths he goes to like just try and have this perfect family. And then the little things that set him off are like, mm-hmm. this is creepy. Like, this guy has something going on. It's very well, disturbing. Yeah, when he catches his, stepdaughter uh kissing a boy on the front porch he's like he was raping her yeah (laughs) and then that's like that's the moment where he decides he doesn't want this family anymore well yeah it's so cool because he starts the process of like finding a new job and a new family before he kills them so he's already like in the process of moving on before he's and so you're like oh man he's gonna kill them he's not even gonna talk it out with them he's just gonna kill them so yeah this movie's so good i think it's an excellent a classic that uh is less i mean it's fairly well known but it should be a lot more recognized i think and the best scene by far is when the wife realizes oh man what's happening through a very disturbing phone call moment <laughs> yeah where like he can't keep track of who, who am he I here? yeah <laughs> yeah it's great it's so great and then it just escalates really fast from there yeah the ending's intense but yes we love terry o'quinn who knew the dude from lost who is also in pin our favorite movie ever <laughs> yeah i want to see the stepfather too i'm kind of curious about it yeah, I don't know um, if it's streaming or anything. Or I guess he's in it. Yeah, he is. Oh, it has that little kid in it. Who? Uh, is it Jonathan Brandis? He's in It, the TV It, <clears throat> and Never Ending Story 2. Interesting. In a lot of 90s movies. Um, yeah, it doesn't have it has a 2.8. I don't mm. know. We'll see. Yeah. Add it to my watch list and it's on Tubi. So where's the stepfather? Stepfather is also on Shudder and Tubi. Yeah. So I give it four stars. Me too. It has a lot of heart. 
All right. What's up next? A movie I made Harper watch. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> that is The Great Silence, which came out in 1968, directed by Sergio Corbucci. His voice was the silence of death. That's hmm. a pretty decent tagline. Not bad. A mute gunslinger fights in the defense of a group of outlaws and a vengeful young widow against a group of ruthless bounty hunters. Uh, this stars Jean-Louis Trintignant, Klaus Kinski, Frank Wolf, Luigi Pastilli, Bonetta McGee, Mario Brega, Carlo D'Angelo, Marisa Marini, lots of Italians. Um, it is a snowy western, which other than the Hateful Eight is like the only one we've seen, I think. Um, so mostly went into this blind, but I saw it on a bunch of lists and it was compared directly to Hateful Eight. So mm-hmm. like when we started watching, I was like, oh, this is probably just going to be exactly like Hateful Eight, isn't it? It's pretty different. But then, yeah, we started watching and I was like, oh, it's not just like, I thought maybe Tarantino ripped it off scene for scene, but there's only like one, one or two parts where he actually like references it in Hateful Eight. Yeah, um, for sure. But it ended up being pleasantly surprised at how bleak of a Western this turned out to be. Um, And we ended up, we watched the film movement movement version. I didn't realize that. So this one has all the original subs. I didn't realize there's a English dubbed version out there. It's on the disc too. Mm. And I think it was attempted to be restored for the one we bought i've seen like i was gonna watch it once on prime and the quality was just so awful and like i can't watch this it's pretty good on the blu-ray we got there was only some weird stuff yeah, in the there's beginning. a couple of odd shots in the beginning that seems like they got from different prints or yeah. something but otherwise it looks really good um but i thought that all of the characters in this are way more complex than i thought it was going to be usually yeah. western movies are like this is just a bad guy versus good guy mm. and it's kind of like that but then it's like well is he a bad guy or is he actually a good guy and is the cop or the sheriff well, actually yeah. good or bad too so our protagonist the the si- the great silence himself is uh he's a guy who kills bounty hunters because a bounty hunter killed his parents Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, the way he does it lawfully is he provokes people until they draw a gun on him and then he gets a drop on him and shoots them. So it's always self-defense. And Klaus Kinski who's the bad guy is a bounty hunter who doesn't break the law. He just takes in lots of bounties and he never there. It's always dead or alive and he always just kills them. Yeah. And kind of. And then there's another bad guy who's like the. He runs like the, I don't even know what it is. I mean, he runs a general store, but he's the one who's putting out bounties on people. and For his own personal it's gain. It's very much like, almost like an anti-capitalism thing. Like he's basically like driving people, driving prices up so people have to resort to. Yeah, thieving. Thieving. So he can get bounties So he can get them killed. People. And in particular, and the main one in this movie, he wants this one guy killed so he can move in on his wife. Yeah. Um, so it's all like kind of for personal gain. So, yeah, there's a lot. It dives deep into, like, the morality and the law and authority and who has the right to judge others, basically. And it, yeah, it's super <laughs> shockingly progressive for a movie in 1968 in Italy. Yeah, um, it has a black female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and literally no voice is given to the leading man. So no. it's kind of like all there's a lot of ladies in it too. There are the who women are very strong kind of important in, roles. And the sheriff too is kind of has like oddly very modern progressive views where he's like uh, we don't need to kill these people who are thieving. We need to give them food because they're obviously they starving yeah. to death. Yeah. Uh, he's very much like a socialist sheriff. It's weird. Even though he's kind of yeah. like a goofball. But he has, yeah. It's like, wow, this guy actually has some good <laughs> ideas. Um, and Klaus Kinski is scary, um, as he always is, Yeah. Uh, as the bounty hunter guy. Uh, I also thought it was kind of interesting and funny that the three main male leads are all from... Like the main, the, the silence guy, he's French. Klaus Kinski is German. And the sheriff is American actor. So they probably all were speaking different languages on set. I mean, the main guy doesn't speak at all, but the other two were probably speaking different languages. Yeah. It's all just dubbed in Italian. <laughs> so it's always kind of funny with these Italian movies. Um, I also thought the scenery was pretty good uh, as far as like cinematography. Oh, yeah. Cinematography is um, great. And then I don't want to spoil the ending, but that kind of seals this whole movie as being way better than most Westerns. Oh boy, I feel yeah. like we've seen. Uh, also, the score is awesome because it's Ennio Morricone. Yeah. Yeah, the score <laughs> so, is really cool. I can't remember the theme now, but we have like humming that for like a few days after this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, pleasantly surprised at how good this movie was and how I hadn't really heard about it before. I'd never heard of this before. You you bought it, yeah. If it wasn't for those lists, like comparing old movies to new movies, like if you like this, watch this. Like that's the only reason why I looked into it. Yeah, it's really the good. Hateful Eight thing. I liked it. I'm not like a huge Western person, but I do like a good Western once in a while, and this one's excellent. Yeah. There is some weird alternate version of the ending, which I think would not would ruin the movie. Maybe definitely, definitely. <laughs> like you got to have that that crazy ending. The ending is pretty shocking. Yeah, I gave it four and a half stars. I did too. We liked a movie. We did. Yay! <laughs> we need an audience clap. <laughs> yeah, we got to write these ideas down. I'm just like on so many. <laughs> You're on fire. Yeah. Got it. I'm on it today. Um, all right. So, also, Great Silence, you can't really watch anywhere, yeah, can you? I don't. Uh, I saw it streaming on Prime not too long ago, but I think they took it off and the quality sucks. It says it's on Hoopla and you can pay for it on Amazon, but you said the streaming's bad. Yeah. So. so, yeah, just choose wisely or come over to our house and borrow it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so next up, we watched a new movie called, well, newish. Says yeah. 2021, says but, 2021, but came I, out this, this is a year, brand new right? shutter release that came out like a month ago. So I'm calling it a 2022 right. movie. And that is off season directed by Mickey Keating. Something is off on this Island. No. S H I T. Uh, upon receiving a mysterious letter that her mother's grave has been vandalized. Marie travels to the desolate Island town where she's buried. Just as she arrives, the island closes for the season, leaving Marie trapped in a nightmare. Starring Jocelyn Donahue, Joe Swanberg, Richard Brake, and Melora Walters. Yeah. So, it's okay. Yeah, it's frust- <laughs> a little frustrating to me because... I So, Mickey Keating directed this. And I like him a lot as a personality. He, he did the show on Shut this talk show on Shutter a long time ago that I really loved called The Core. 
Um, and I've seen at least one of his other movies, Darling. I can't remember if I've seen another one, but um, this reminded me very, very much of Darling in that like, it's really visually ambitious and interesting. Like there's some great shots in this. Yeah. Um, but the plot is just like super thin and kind of abstract in the way that it like tells a story. And their narrative in this is really repetitive. Like it's just her like running back and forth from one place to another. It the is, whole movie. Yeah. Um, but the cast is really good. I think the performances are really good. There's just not a whole lot for them to do most in a lot of cases. Yeah, it looks great. And like we like Jocelyn Donahue because she's in House of the Devil and like Dr. Sleep. So I mm-hmm. always want to support her. Yeah, I mean, I like Joe Swanberg and um, yeah. I mean, Miller Walters is cool too. I mean, I liked almost everybody. I think the other this. problem I have with this movie is that there's no real mystery. Like, okay, they just, like, it's pretty obvious what's going on. I didn't quite get it until a little later than you, I think. So maybe it's not as obvious as you Well, think. just that, like, it's obvious something's weird with the island well, yeah, and clearly. like getting trapped there. And like, she's seeing like spirits in the cemetery, like from the second scene or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, okay, it's either haunted or something. And then, yeah, it just, but like you said, it's just not much to work with. No. Yeah. It, um, it definitely has a Messiah of evil beach, like yeah. haunting ghouls vibe, which is also cool, got like fog, the fog sure. vibes, kind of. Boy, they must have used a ton of hazel yeah. in this movie. There's just <laughs> fog, constant fog. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's not a lot to go on. Um, I kind of wish Mickey Keating would direct somebody else's script, maybe, because I yeah. think he's got a great eye, and I think he's got a, I think he's ta- very talented, but I, I, the, both the movies of his I've seen have been kind of underwhelming. Yeah, and it's not that creepy either. Or like a horror movie that's supposed to be creepy. Yeah, it's okay. But I agree. Like if he could direct some other person's script, it could be awesome. Yeah. So it's okay. I uh, gave it three stars, but I don't think I'd ever watch it again. Yeah, same, same. Exactly the same. Um, next up we watched Head of the Family, part of Joe Bob Briggs last oh driving night. Yeah. Have you been told of this show before? <laughs> yeah, really. Thousands of times. So Head of the Family came out in 1996, directed by Charles Band. Upset the head and you're dead. <laughs> the <laughs> head of the family is literally that. A giant head on a tiny body who psychically controls the rest of his even weirder family. I love that description. His even weirder family. And they are weird. (laughs) Yeah. It's like one guy who's super strong, one guy who has like super strong senses and like bulging eyeballs, Mm -hmm. and one like mute, sexy lady. (laughs) And we know what her power is. Yeah, that's what he always says. Like, (laughs) it's pretty clear what her uses are. Oh, God. (laughs) No hey ladies for this movie. No, definitely not. Um uh <laughs> I didn't have a chance to write a review for this, but I think you probably liked it more than I did. Like it's I don't hate these movies, but they're also just like I'm not going to gain anything from it either. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've seen any of his other movies. Well, you've seen a lot that he's produced probably. Yeah. I mean cuz all the Stuart Gordon movies were Charles Band movies. So Castle Freak and Reanimator and From Beyond and yeah. all that stuff. And I love those <laughs> to death. The dolls. 
Um, but this is like, I think he's, I love his aesthetic. I love mm-hmm. the way his movies look and sound. I like the music that his brother does on almost all these. I, um, I think I prefer him as the producer than as a straight director. As a director, I think his movies tend to be pretty like, um, uh, what's the word? Like crude and like, te- like they're definitely aimed at like teen boys. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, so obviously this movie has a lot of like silly, unnecessary sex scenes and a lot of nudity. <laughs> Um, that's pretty hard to justify totally. Um, but I do think it is, I love that Joe Bob kept pointing out that it is very funny the way that the sex scenes are used to also further the story that they're like planning a murder and a con, like while they're doing mm-hmm. it, which <laughs> is pretty, always kind of funny. <laughs> like instead of sitting at a table, just go have sex and talk about what yeah. we're going to do. <laughs> so it certainly keeps things interesting, I guess. Yeah. Um, I think the giant head effect is pretty well done. And it's, I did like the big head. It's goofy in a really fun <laughs> sort of way. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot. Yeah. I mean, it's a really bizarre, silly concept. And so, yeah, it's like this weird and the acting's family. And not great And then like, this other guy who's like <laughs> this goofy redneck guy who's trying to con them and get away yeah. with it. Like, you know, it's kind of funny to pit those two against each other. So it's a really unique, weird concept. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but... So I gave it two and a half stars. Uh, I think I gave it three stars. And it's streaming on Shutter and Tubi. If you want to see the big head, the big head, the big giant. Why wouldn't head. you? <laughs> All right. So next up, we watched a movie called "The Friends of Eddie Coyle." That is an odd name for a movie. <laughs> it is a very odd name. Uh, so this movie came out in 1973, directed by Peter Yates, who did Bullet, which we were on the fence about. Um, it's a grubby, violent, dangerous world, but it's the only world they know, and they're the only friends Eddie has. But are they his friends? That's yeah, I liked it on the poster. Maybe. The whole thing is in quotes, the yeah. whole title, but really it should be like, the friends of Eddie Coyle. Yeah. <laughs> So an aging hood is about to go back to prison, hoping to escape his fate. He supplies information on stolen guns to the feds while simultaneously supplying arms to his bank robbing chums. So this stars Robert Mitchum, Peter Boyle, Richard Jordan, Stephen Keats, Alex Rocco, and some other friends. (laughs) Yeah. Uh. So this was an interesting crime movie because it's like, I was expecting more action, I guess, from the the bullet director. But now I'm thinking about it. Bullet Bullet only has like two car chases. Bullet was very similar to this. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely a more like subdued crime movie, a gangster movie. It takes place in Boston. So it's like all these Boston dudes, like the departed without very much like, like just the day to day, like workings of like a bunch of low life criminals. Yeah. Like they're all just kind of like (laughs) ratting on each other and they're all like, you know, just trying to get a good deal and, and being ultra suspicious of everybody all the time because they're always worried somebody else is going to rip them off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like that. I think it's got really snappy dialogue. That's really fun. Yeah, the dialogue's really good. The writing was probably the best part. It's got a cool jazzy score too. 
It's a little out of place, but oh, your typical seventies like crime. I think saxophone. I looked it up, and I think it's the same person that did Three Days of the Condor, which also has like a super stylish jazzy score. Yeah, I can't remember the name, but yeah. Um, um I liked Robert Mitchum a lot, though. Yeah, I he think he's good. In this. I haven't seen him. This is funny. This is the only time I've seen him where I feel like he's like a middle-aged man because I've seen him in older stuff and like the. 50s or maybe even the 40s like out of the past and then i've seen him in stuff when he's older like the remake of cape fear i haven't seen the original cape fear that he's in um but yeah so i've never seen anything where he's like this age but yeah he was really good yeah i've only seen him apparently in four movies cape fear scrooged this and tombstone well he's in dead man you've seen that right yeah and then I've always wanted to see The that. Night of the Hunter. That's like his most famous one, right? Yeah, I've seen that. I don't, and I remember being sort of uh, disappointed by it. A lot of people like it, though. Yeah, I know it's supposed you to be, be a classic. I don't know. I mean, it was fine. It just didn't blow me away like I expected it to, I yeah. guess. I don't know. Um, the only thing that was kind of weird to me about this one was I thought the ending was strange. Because um, to me, it was like, I don't want to totally give it away, but like, I feel like the final scene feels like it's supposed to be this big surprise twist ending, Mm -hmm. but like, it's so obvious what's been going on the whole time. It's not a twist at all. It's like, it feels like we're supposed to have known what was going on. Yeah. But I was also confused a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, it was a little hard to follow. And then, but I did think the ending, I was like, oh yeah, we kind of know that already. Yeah. Like (laughs) it seems they play it as if it's like, oh no, it was him all along. (laughs) And like, yeah, we knew that already. Yeah. I thought. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Was, that was a little, it didn't land super, the ending doesn't land really well for me. It's kind of underwhelming. Yeah. But overall, I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. It's on Criterion, but it's not streaming on Criterion. Yes. What did you give it? Uh, I gave it four stars. You gave it three and a half stars. Cool. And you have to rent it. So deal with it. <laughs> Uh, let's see. So next up, I watched a movie by myself, and it's a new movie called Elvis. Elvis came out this year, and it's directed by Baz Luhrmann, with a capital B and a capital L, (laughs) and capital (laughs) E-L-V-I-S. Everton Rhinestone. The man, the legend, the king of rock and roll. The life story of Elvis Presley is seen through the complicated relationship with his enigmatic manager, Colonel Tom Parker. My name is Colonel Tom. <laughs> I don't know how to do the impression because yeah, his voice is it's so awful. weird. Uh, so this stars Austin Butler, Tom Hanks, Richard Roxburgh, Helen Thompson, Olivia DeJong, Dacry Montgomery. I don't know. None of these people. Yeah, well, you know Tom Hanks, you know Austin Butler. Do I know Austin Butler? Yeah, so he he is, what's his name? He's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as like Tex, the rain, he like on the horse at the Manson oh, camp. Yeah. And then he is one of the people in The Dead Don't Die in the hotel with Selena Gomez, yeah, like one of her all. friends. But he's going to be in Dune and he's probably going to get... Two. Yeah, bigger roles Dune after part this. <laughs> so Elvis is a lot to take in. A Boz Lerman movie? Yeah. No. It is like 
crack for your eyeballs <laughs> nonstop. In a good way? I mean, it everything happens so fast that like if you blink, you're gonna miss a decade of their life or something. Yeah. And time has no meaning. There's no linear <laughs> what's that true detective? Time is a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> According to Baz Luhrmann. Um there's a lot going on. Uh it's it's weird because it's called Elvis, but it's really like from the point of view of Tom Hanks' character. And Tom Hanks' character is the worst part of this movie. Mm. He's really weird. His voice is weird. He's an awful person. So it's like, why did we focus on him when the movie's called Elvis? Yeah. Um, and every single Insta filter was used in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's like, it's all. Style, I guess, and not much substance. And but then there's also like 150 songs crammed into this movie, and they're mm. not even all Elvis songs. There's like other versions, like there's a lot of rap too. Um, and there's a lot of stuff like with BB King and other like black performers from that time. Apparently Elvis hung Elvis out. Stole all that stuff from them. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, they kind of like say like, yeah, he did, but it is, I think that was normal for back then. Mm. He's like, I want to cover that song. I want to cover that song. Led, Led Zeppelin too. Yeah, most, but then they just like, people. his versions like make all the money. Yeah. But I guess he licensed them from the other performers or something. Um, I'm sure everybody got paid their <laughs> fair deal. Definitely in 1950s, 60s, 70s America. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of, I don't think there's much like historical accuracy or fact based on his life. Like I'm sure there's tidbits. It's kind of like a Wikipedia page was made into a movie. <laughs> so you get like all the basic elements, but then he's trying to like make it deeper than it probably is. Um, but Austin Butler's character is actually really, really good. Hmm. I mean, his performance is really good because there's parts of the movie where you kind of forget, like, oh, he's not Elvis. And then because the way, a lot like him, yeah. yeah, he sounds just like him. I always appreciate a biopic that the people actually sing in because it's like, yeah, like a Rocket Man, right? But then stupid like Bohemian Rhapsody gets all the Oscars and the other people don't. You <laughs> so can't you hear me rolling my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is kind of similar with Rocket Man, I guess. Like a lot of style, and I don't know how involved the uh, Elvis estate was, but I know they liked the film. What so. did Riley Keogh think? Oh, I don't know. Is she related? Yeah, she's his granddaughter. I thought it was somebody else. I'm pretty sure, and she Lisa Marie Presley's uh, daughter. Yeah, she looks just like her, so probably. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, his performance is great. So he's really uh, nails the singing, his movements, and kind of like that grand persona that he has. And then there's parts where they use archival footage, but they also kind of blend in his performance. So you you kind of forget like that he's playing Elvis. Yeah. So like it comes off like he is Elvis. I have one question for you. Yes. If you're gonna rewatch a movie about Elvis, are you gonna watch this one or the John Carpenter Kurt Russell one? <sighs> I don't know. This one is at least like it's probably this crazy. one's probably more entertaining. <laughs> yeah, this one is definitely more entertaining. Um, I'm trying to remember what I gave the last one. Is it called Elvis as well? Mm-mm. I remember liking it, but I, I'm not like a huge Elvis person, so it didn't make like a huge impact on me. 1979. 
Yeah. I liked this one more than that one, mm. according to my letterbox All review. Right. Take that, John Carpenter. Yeah. I know you're listening. <laughs> but I don't know if a lot of people will like it. I think you should probably be an Elvis fan, um, or at least appreciate it. I did, uh, there is one part, I think, I didn't know too much about Elvis's comeback special that he did in the late 60s. Hmm where that's kind of where the signature like giant Elvis like red lettering behind him came from. Yeah. And he did a a protest song by uh in reaction to MLK and uh Bobby Kennedy getting assassinated, hmm. which was very against his brand, but that he was trying to like rebrand himself cuz yeah. his awful manager is like making him do Christmas songs and stuff. <laughs> So that part was uh, interesting, but then it's the whole movie's kind of depressing. Like I didn't realize how bad it was, but like if you end up in Vegas doing a show, you're it's the end of your life. <laughs> you're not gonna last much longer. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she's next. We're gonna find out that she was like drugged repeatedly and forced on stage after passing out. <laughs> so yeah. Depressing, but pretty. <laughs> Just like also, Gatsby and Moulin Rouge and <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, it has Romeo plus Juliet energy with Moulin Rouge editing. <laughs> Is Australia? Have you seen Australia? Yeah. So you've seen every one of his movies. I think so. Australia is way toned down compared to this stuff. Hmm. I'm um, surprised. But yeah, it's, I haven't seen Strictly Ballroom. That's what like his oh, start was. Uh, man, I was going to say that I forgot now. Oh, there is like, so the first 10 minutes, there's like five time jumps. And so you go from like the past to the present to the future. The, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but there is like this whole segment where it's like his first performance and all these girls in the audience have this like sexual awakening. <laughs> and Baz Luhrmann's like zooming in on his crotch, like shaking on stage and then zooming on these girls, like not understanding what's happening to their bodies. <laughs> They're changing bodies. That's <laughs> and then there's some dudes in the audience here like oh <laughs> so that part was very uh campy and i, I feel loved like i it. got a lot of that in the trailer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's a lot of shaking and jittering <laughs> all right um so yeah that's all elvis i get three and a half all right you guys see in theaters but i'm sure it'll stream sometime Probably i don't know if it's the next two weeks yeah <laughs> It's kind of mixed. It seems like most people give it three and a half stars, hmm. um, but some critics gave it like one and a half stars. Like Ouch. it's not that bad. <laughs> All right. We've got one last movie to talk about, and that is Habit from 1995, directed by Larry Fessenden. Um, this was another, yet another Joe Bob Briggs last drive in movie that we watched. One day we'll finish them. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've been curious about this movie for a long time because I always hear about Fessenden and I've never really dug into his movies. I've seen Wendigo is the only one, um, and, I, I, and I thought, we saw him at Until Dawn. Well, yeah, I <laughs> mean, he, video game. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Like he's in Your Next, and he does voices in a lot of like indie horror movies sometimes. And he wrote, he co-wrote Until Dawn. Um, so he's always been kind of on the fringes, but and I thought Wendigo is okay, but. Uh, Habit is was pretty damn good. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so here's the description. It's autumn in New York. Sam has broken up with his girlfriend and his father has recently died. World-weary and sloppy drunk, he finds temporary solace in the arms of Anna, a mysterious 
vampire <laughs> who draws him away from his friends and into a web of addiction and madness. Uh, starring Larry Fessenden as Sam and a bunch of other people who I don't think have been in many other movies. Except, except. <laughs> Go ahead. a cameo appearance by Kelly Reichardt, the director of First Cow and Meek's Cutoff and all this other stuff where yeah. she plays girl on phone at party how weird is that <laughs> i don't even think you really see her face i don't even still, remember like, her even seeing her. this i don't remember now yeah but, yeah that was strange very strange <laughs> um i liked this a lot what did you think about it i ended up liking it way more than i thought i was going to and it is like kind of slow so i could yeah. see people being like oh this is boring but i thought it totally worked and i wish we could have seen it not knowing it was a vampire movie um, yeah, because it would have been interesting. Like, what's going on with this girl? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I like that it has like this kind of casual, gritty feel to it. That like, I don't know. It feels very much like an indie '90s movie, but not in the kind of. I, I guess indie '90s to me is very different from indie 2000s, which are the kind yeah. of indie movies we kind of grew up watching that are all very similar. Mm -hmm. I feel I can have like a really annoying feel to them in, in a lot of ways, but this definitely has its own kind of interesting New York, like uh bohemian art scene feel to it. That was kind of fun to watch. Um, so it's definitely entertaining and interesting. And his group of friends have interesting dynamics and they're all kind of quirky characters. Yeah. Um, but all that really meshes and contrasts well with like these weird Gothic nightmares that are happening. And this like, just this whole thing where he like meets this girl who's like super mysterious, but is also kind of like exactly what he thinks he wants. And like, um, cue the nonstop makeout sessions. Yeah. And, and weird, <laughs> weird, inappropriate, like sexual encounters, pub public sexual yeah. encounters. Yeah. I uh, know. I was getting a little annoyed with that. Cause like, he just wrote this movie to make out with a girl on screen. Well, yeah, fair enough. That's, <laughs> That's always, what it felt like. It's always first. a thing when it's a young yeah. director directing themselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just having sex like five times. Yeah. The movie. Um, it works for this though. It does. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think the woman that played Anna, who I don't remember her name. Um, I think this was the only thing she was ever in. Right. Meredith Snyder. Is, I think that's what they said, but, um, yeah, she's, I think she's really good. She's kind of, it's terrifying, but mm -hmm. in a seductive kind of way. Um, my only kind of complaint with it is that like, so in the last act, it gets much more like, or much less vague about whether she actually is a vampire or not. I'll say. Yeah. And veers way more into like straight horror territory. And I like that last act. I think it's cool and it's effective, but I don't think it works well with the, rest of the movie like i would have rather been all one way or the other a little bit you know what i mean i was okay with it though i mean it didn't like really bother me but it was like my only thing that was really like a negative about the movie was like i would have either rather been like she's clearly a vampire from get-go or uh it's super vague all the way through the end well yeah the last scene there's like it isn't well, it is, I'm so confused about the very, very last scene because, like, there's a frame where she's there and then there's oh, a frame yeah. where she's not, but the people looking at them don't s say anything about it. Yeah, I think it... Well, and then the very last shot's of a boat yeah. moving, so I assume she survived and yeah. left New York <laughs> is the idea. But, yeah, it is... that. I mean, it's still a pretty vague ending, I guess, but there's no vague... I mean... 
I don't know. I was going to say there's no vagueness, but I guess nobody but Sam was there when they were wrestling and fighting and she was biting yeah. him and, and then they both, something happens to both yeah. of them. Uh, <laughs> I guess you could, you could say that it was still like in his head and that that's not really what was happening kind of thing. Well, yeah, for a long time, I thought like none of his friends has even met her or seen her, but yeah. then she finally like shows up. It was up. funny. We both yeah. had that same thought. And then the next scene, they, yeah. she was like there for like, Thanksgiving Like Anna's dinner. here yeah. for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe the ending is more vague than I had previously thought. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought this was really cool. It really makes me want to watch some more of his stuff. Um, what's the other one? There's there's a box set of his movies that's like Habit, Wendigo, and ABCs of Death Two, no, no, Depraved. No. It's oh, The Last Winter is the other one mm-hmm. that gets a lot of good uh, reviews and stuff. I think Return of the Gulag. <laughs> Last Winter stars Ron Perlman. That's cool. Um, anyways, oh, what is Jaws 1978? Fessenden's unfinished remake <laughs> of Spielberg's classic. It's three minutes long. That's weird. <laughs> Uh, I do, even though it got better views, I'm interested in watching his uh, Frankenstein movie from a couple of years ago, Depraved. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it sounded interesting. Anyways. Um, yeah. So that was Habit. That was kind of uh, one of our first foray together anyways into the weird world of Larry Fessenden. Yeah. He seems to be some kind of godfather of indie horror for a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, um, filmmakers who we like. A lot of horror people. Yep. So I think that wraps us up for well, the... What would you give it? Oh, sorry. Uh, I gave Habit four stars. I gave it three and a half. Is it streaming anywhere? Shudder. Cool. Um, so I think that does now wraps us up for the month. Yeah. So Thanks, Howard Neen. <laughs> now we're going to take a quick music break and come back with our special mini segment. So seeing as this episode is coming out on July 4th. Although we're protesting July 4th this year. Yeah. So here's the thing. We're not going to talk about our favorite patriotic American movies because <laughs> America can suck my balls right now. B-A-L-L-S. Because um, <laughs> our country's terrible right now. Just terrible. Um, awful. So we're not going to celebrate the U.S. Just of A. Awful. in any way, shape, or form. But one thing everybody likes about July 4th it's fireworks. Who doesn't like hot just blow, blowing stuff? Okay, <laughs> hot dogs. Yeah, but we didn't do hot dogs. We all like blowing stuff up, right? Who doesn't? Blow up the patriarchy. Sure. <laughs> um, we're not not telling you to shoot fireworks at Kavanaugh's house or the Supreme Court. We're not not saying that. Not not saying anything. Um, so anyways, what we wanted to just quickly talk about are some of our favorite scenes with fireworks in movies. Uh, and I had a couple that popped right into my head, but then I started looking into it and I was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of really good ones. Um, so this is like important fireworks, right? I mean, mostly, <laughs> yeah. Like fireworks that affect the plot yes. or have like okay. a significant, uh, significant, memorable <laughs> part of the movie. 
So does the night scene count in a nineteen seventy? I don't think so. But <laughs> Not really fireworks. You're on the right track there. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So we've got our list here. We're just gonna kind of run through it. You want to pick one out, or should I start? Well, the one that's obvious that we both are just like, duh, <laughs> 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 is a blowout. Yes, the big. That was July the one I made this 4th, list for. Yeah, climactic murder scene. Which Spoiler. is just <laughs> gorgeous and tragic and amazing. It's one, I think it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie. Well, yeah. it uses like Brian De Palma's awesome like 360 camera mm-hmm, work mm-hmm. while fireworks are going off while you're seeing this like dramatic scene unfold with John Travolta running across the well like empty field or whatever. And it takes place on actual July 4th. It's during like the bicentennial or something, right? Yeah. It's more than just July 4th. It's like a huge celebration and in Philadelphia, so it makes sense like the place, and it's um, yeah, it's and it, he's trying to like save the girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's trying to save John Travolta's trying to save Nancy Allen, and there's all these fireworks shooting off, and he can't find her, he can't see her, and then yeah, when he does find her, it's a super tragic thing, and there's fi- it's just beautifully colored, and yeah, I love 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 that shot. Yeah, well, plus the whole movie is great. It's oh, definitely yeah. well, one of Brian De Palma's best films. I think it's his best by a long shot. Well, Carrie's really good too, though. Yeah, fair enough. But um, yeah, it's all downhill after that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Blowout is awesome, and that's a great fireworks scene. I think that's the first one we both thought of. Yeah, um, I'll throw in another one that was the other the other one that I initially thought of is um, a movie we just talked about recently on our last yes, episode, uh, Blue Valentine. And the very last scene, I'm trying to remember the context because it's been so long since I've seen it. But he like walks out of the house. Do you they remember? decide that they're separating, officially getting a divorce. Okay, yeah. And he has to leave and say bye to his daughter. And the daughter's like screaming like, don't go. And so I think he's just walking okay, off kind right. of while there's fireworks going on. I mostly, see, I forgot the context, but I remember basically he's walking out on this suburban street and there's fireworks lighting up the street and they're playing this song Alligator by Grizzly Bear that I love. Um, and it's just like this super, uh, after such like a big emotional journey throughout the movie, like it's this big kind of melancholy release at the end, I feel like. Yeah. And it does a lot with like juxtaposing like everyone's happy around them. They're uh-huh. celebrating and like their lives just got destroyed. <laughs> and then I think if I'm remembering right, I feel like the fireworks continue through the credits and they're actually lighting up the credits. Yeah, I think they do. Like you see the credits because the fireworks light them up. It's a really cool effect too, yep. which I'm, I'm always a sucker for credits that are somehow <laughs> blended into the story. Um, so yeah, I haven't seen that movie in forever, but I remember just being like totally in awe of the, the last like five minutes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a good one. Uh, I guess I'll pick the Sandlot Mm -hmm. where they have their night game, night game, night game. Yeah, that's an excellent one. (laughs) So it's the only night of the year where they can play a night game because the fireworks are bright enough to light up everything. But such a beautiful idea. What's his name? Benny the Jet Rodriguez, uh, is the only one taking it serious and all the other Sandlotters are... (laughs) Aren't they playing? Are distracted by it? Isn't the song? Aren't they doing that like America the Beautiful, but that like soulful rock version of it? I think so. It's the definitely America. No, I don't think it's that. I, I think, think it's so? just the the theme. Mm. <laughs> 
You did the research. I did the research. I did the research. I, did, I meant to go <laughs> back and watch this We need him on scene. the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's his name? I don't know. I don't know. I did the research. The guy that does the research <laughs> for you. Ask. Oh, man, what is it? Anyways, this is terrible. If you don't, if you don't know what we're talking about, this is so bizarre. Anyways. It might just be a Georgia thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a great little sequence in the movie. And it doesn't even really affect the plot. It's just like, wow, what a, like, a beautiful moment of childhood. It shows their characters because they're just out there to have fun. And Benny the Jet Rodriguez is there. In the long game. All right. Fair enough. He is the only one who's going to be a professional baller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I've got another good one. One that I can't believe I didn't think of immediately. And that is The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Have we talked about this movie before? Um, who is this by? Uh, P- Pete Jackson. Oh, Peter Pete Jackson. Peter Jackson. <laughs> um so obviously, very near the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings, it's Bilbo's 111th birthday, and they have this big celebration, and Gandalf is famous for bringing fireworks, and uh, Merry and Pippin accidentally set off all the fireworks early, and there's a giant dragon firework that is meant to be a nod to Smog. <laughs> Smog. Smog. Um, so that's a pretty fun moment. Uh, I think that's one of the few, man, not few, but I think if they ever like redid the Lord of the Rings movies in 3D, which I would not put past Peter Jackson to do at some point, that would be a great 3D moment when the dragon flies over everybody. And it's really the last time any of them are happy. That's true. It's like the only like purely <laughs> happy scene yeah. in the whole movie probably. Uh, yeah, that's true. But it is, it is a lot of fun. I like that scene. What else we got? Well, the list is getting less and less like integral to the plot. Okay. All right. (laughs) Tongue tied. Um, I'm going to go with Boogie Nights. So that's such a good one. (laughs) The scene is so intense. And so uh, what's his name? Mark Wahlberg and John C. Riley and that dude from Deep Blue Sea. uh, (laughs) Or dude from Deep Blue Sea, (laughs) Alfred Molina. No, Wait, the who? blonde guy who goes, his idea is to rob oh, Alfred yeah, Molina. That guy's in deep blue yeah, okay. <laughs> so they go to Alfred Molina's house, the dude from Spider-Man 2, mm. or is it Spider-Man 1? 2? 2. And, and the new one. 7? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what one. Um, they go to his house to rob him and steal his drugs and because they're broke and strung out. And Alfred Molina's little pool boy... <laughs> toy uh-huh. is like in his underwear in like a, a crop top or something and just he's constantly throwing firecrackers and then there's really loud music playing and like Alfred Molina has a shotgun at some point or guns and they're all just like it's super tense and the firecrackers are just like constantly going yeah. in the background the scene is incredibly tense yeah uh, yeah, and then it, it just like every like 15 or 30 seconds, there's like a big pop from yeah. one of these firecrackers. <laughs> so it really puts you and the characters just totally on edge the whole time. I was trying to think, was there any fireworks in the New Year's Eve scene for this movie? Uh, or maybe just sparklers? I, think, I don't think so because they start counting down and then that's true. something real bad happens. Yeah, so we don't <laughs> see it if there is. And then it cuts to the next decade, yeah. But yeah. Using firecrackers to set the mood. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> An awful mood. 
Um, all right, let's see. I'm going to go with a movie that has fireworks in the name. Okay. And that's Bottle Rocket. Um, so Wes Anderson's first movie. Lot, there's a whole sequence. <laughs> what were you going to do? Well, I was going to hit my man, but then I was kind of, I wish you had a button that said, that was Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> no, we need that button. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, uh, there's a whole sequence where they're shooting off like uh, bottle rockets and um, Roman candles out of a car window. And then I, there's a really funny, my favorite one when I always think about it is when, uh, I think it's because um, Dignam, uh, Owen Wilson is really annoyed that he's not like the center of attention because yeah. Luke Wilson has a girlfriend. Well, he's like the third wheel. Yeah. And so there's this shot of him. He's shooting the Roman candle, but he's just aiming it directly <laughs> at the ground. He's just shooting right at the ground. He's really yeah. bored. <laughs> it's so funny to me always. So I do always think about that. That's a great, uh, I think of Roman candle scenes. That's the, to- that's the top one for sure. I love Bottle Rocket so much. Yeah, Bottle Rocket I wish is- Wes Anderson would do more movies like that. Just go back to his roots. <laughs> I agree. I wish we'd get something a little pared down from yeah. what the, the nonsense we like. Go the get opposite, now. Wes Anderson. Go back where it's well, just a funny story. That's what we want every director <laughs> to do: is go back and make their first movie again. Yeah, right? we want Peter Jackson to go back to horror. Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi, and <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, but yeah, I thought that was a good one, and obviously the movie's named after a firework. So. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know about these other ones. They're all kind of blah. Well, let's just run run through them quick then. They're not that blah, but okay. Yeah, the last one's blah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have... Uh, Stop Kate- burping. Sorry. Oh, the burping. <laughs> like the jinx over here. Or uh, Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> um, the remake of Cape Fear, which we just talked about a minute ago with uh, Robert Mitchum. I don't remember this one. Uh, I didn't either, and then I looked it up on you because I saw it on a list. I looked it up on YouTube, and it is really cool. So it's, I remember him sitting on a roof. Yeah, it's like um, what's what's her name? Uh, Jessica Lang. She's the wife in that, right? No, she. It's um, been a while. You know, they're being stalked by Max Cady, the super menacing Robert, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. And uh, I think it's July Fourth, and they look out the. She looks out the blinds in the window, and silhouetted by the fireworks, he's sitting on the roof across the street, watching the her. Um, it's just super creepy. And like everything in that movie, he's just super menacing and terrifying. Yeah, it is um, Jessica Lange. So it is a cool, it's a cool shot that I had kind of forgotten about. Um, another one. This one's pretty integral to the plot uh, in Toy Story. Yeah. They're on the uh, remote control car trying to catch, uh, What what's the deal? They're trying to get to the back of the pizza truck for... What? To rescue somebody? God, it's been so long since I've seen the first Toy Story. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, I don't remember this Buzz <laughs> ends up flying using a bottle rocket and like he's actually able to fly and that's like how they do it. And the, they do something. And the, yeah, something <laughs> uses a bottle rocket. <laughs> um, a Quiet Place in the big climax of the movie, that's how they distract um, the uh, monsters from, uh, what's her, from, what's her name? The actress? Uh, John Krasinski's wife. You were supposed to do the research. <laughs> um, oh God, why am I blanking on it? Anyways, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. I want to say e, Emily. Right? Emily or Emma? Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Yeah. Yay, we did it! It's, they use fireworks. <laughs> they use fireworks to distract the monsters uh, so that she can give birth. 
And so it's this big, huge climactic scene. And so like as soon as the fireworks go off is when she like screams and all that. But really, all I can ever remember is John Krasinski screaming. Oh, <laughs> really? Put that on the soundboard. That's who they want to be, Mr. Fantastic. No, uh, thank you. Yeah, I think I'll pass on that. Uh, all right. Two more. Two more. Uh, I'll do the one that you thought was lame first. Uh, Great Gatsby, which we also just brought up. I only, not even real, though. I only, yeah, I'm sure they're not. I only mentioned it because it's such a meme of yeah. him, Leo, you know, toasting, and there's mm-hmm. like a million fireworks going off behind him. So it's, you know, memorable scene, even if the movie is not that memorable. The meme is used all the time. Yeah. And the last one, the best one of all. I haven't seen this movie in, since we started dating. I think we need to <laughs> rectify that. Uh, and that is Joe Dirt. <laughs> Um, and obviously there's one of the most famous scenes in this incredibly famous Famous, well-loved movie famous quotes (laughs) uh, is when joe dirt played par perfection by david spade uh when he um he meets the fireworks the uh, guy that deals the fireworks played by adam beach i think um and the guy only sells snakes and sparklers and he wonders why he's not why his fireworks business is not doing very well. And so Joe Dirt's like, "You don't have any Husker do's, Husker don'ts, Swizzler stick." You know, he names like a thousand different kinds of fireworks in this just like great monologue. It just goes on and on and on. It's so funny. But yeah, that was the part we always used to joke about: Husker do's, Husker don'ts. You're telling me you got it? You're sitting there owning a fireworks stand. You ain't got any whistling bungholes. Ew! What is a Husker do? I mean, a Husker do is like a. I don't know. It was a board game and it maybe it's like a aren't Huskers like a It's an American Wisconsin punk rock thing? band. Oh Husker do, yeah. <laughs> Husker don't I, I don't think that actually exists. Husker do is, is a that. board game your mom has. Yeah, it. I remember that. But yeah, I always thought Husker don't was really funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the whole uh whole list is really it's a great I don't think those are a real firework. I typed in Husker do fireworks and the Joe Dirt scene popped up. Well, there you go. Do I, do I need to read the scene? No. Okay, nobody wants right. this. I do, but I won't. All right. Any other fireworks scenes you want to throw in there? I'm sure Independence Day has one, right? Maybe not. The other ones that showed up on some lists I saw that I just did, I didn't really remember them that well. Apparently, Brokeback Mountain's got a real big fireworks scene where, like, uh, one of the guys, I don't remember which one, gets into, like, a big fist fight with another guy. During like fireworks, like a rodeo, probably maybe something like that. Some cowboy crap. Um, <laughs> that silent movie Sunrise has like a fireworks scene that during like when they're falling, when the characters are falling in love, that they, they say that all these lists said was like the first time fireworks were in movies. So that's kind of neat. neat. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably it's probably a fireworks documentary out there. Probably, I'd watch that. <laughs> now, when I was a kid, for, I had a very short period. Those are probably more animated movies. Yeah, that's not true. Thinking about, I had a very short period where I was really interested. I wanted to become like a fireworks person. Isn't there a Harry Potter scene where they fly through fireworks? Yeah, there. It's they use it to chase. That was on some list too to chase away the the pink lady. What's her name? Mm, Betsy Davos. Yeah, Betsy Devos. <laughs> uh, yeah, they used it to chase away Betsy Devos. Um, yeah, that was on some list too, but I was just like, eh, whatever. J.K. Rowling sucks. I think it, if no one has Independence Day plans, that blowout bottle rocket 
and Blue Valentine would be a great triple feature. Boy, what a bizarre triple feature. <laughs> Definitely Blowout. You should just watch Blowout. Blowout. Well, yeah, Blowout takes place on 4th of July. Maybe we'll watch Blowout. <laughs> yeah, I would love to watch Blowout on 4th of July. I think that's a great idea. Um, I think uh, we did last year, right? Or the year before, maybe. It hasn't been that long since we've watched it. Yeah, we, well, we watched it for our Criterion episode, maybe. Yeah, or did we do a sound episode? I don't know. We did. Movies I can't remember what, what we did Blowout for, but we've definitely talked about it on the show before. because it's, it's a five-star movie. It's a, Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it, it's one, if we ever do an episode on best movie endings, that one shows up, will show up for me for sure, too. Um, But yeah, a lot of these are great. Um, I like all these movies, especially Joe Dirt. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyways... Uh, I hope everybody has a good July 4th and does not celebrate the U.S. of A. in any or way, Husker shape, don't. or form. But I uh, hope you at least have a good day off of work. And um, don't forget, you can always see a list of all the movies we talked about on our Letterboxd. And you can follow us on Twitter at Spliced Podcast. Um, let us know what movies you watched this month and if we missed any good fireworks scenes. Um, Did Elvis's movements sexually awaken you <laughs> these are the things we need to know so at us as the kids say uh and we'll talk to you again soon on another episode of spliced together, together.